This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Richard Keith Call and Cassandra Lee Haley were a 20-year-old and 18-year-old from Gloucester and Grafton, Virginia, respectively. They had a college class together. On April 9th, 1988, Keith and Sandra were on their first date. They went to a party in Newport News, then left sometime after midnight. Keith's car was found just hours later on the Colonial Parkway. They were never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel. And this is the first of a two-part episode of Unfound. Yep, this is the two-parter. And these are the disappearances I've been teasing for a few weeks now on these episodes and on the live show on YouTube. And yes, if you're wondering, Keith and Sandra, as they were known by everyone back then, are the only two disappearances contained within the greater phenomenon that is now known as the Colonial Parkway Murders, the killing of three couples and the disappearances of these two young people. Over the years, there have been books, websites, web sleuth threads, Reddit posts, and even a Wikipedia page devoted to trying to figure out if all of them are connected or separate incidents. Was there a serial killer in that area of Virginia, or was it all the work of multiple unconnected assailants? Well, in this episode and the next, Unfound is going to do something that's never been done before. We are going to examine Keith and Sandra's case all by itself, with only a bit of comparing and contrasting with the murders. I plan to apply everything we've learned over the past six-plus years concerning missing persons cases to figure out what happened to cause the colonial Parkway Disappearances. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Keith Call, in both hearing about him and reading about him, was pretty much the nicest guy you ever wanted to meet. Studious, friendly, even taking his younger brother to the movies on Sundays. He had no addictions, no problems with the law, no allegations of any behavioral or mental issues. And Keith had a girlfriend, Selena, of four years. However, at the time of Keith's disappearance, the two were on what we now in the 21st century call a break. 
Sandra Haley was pretty much like Keith. No addictions, no problems with the law, certainly no behavioral or mental issues. However, Sandra was certainly more outgoing and popular than Keith. She was a cheerleader, a gymnastics coach, and Sandra worked part-time at a hair salon to pay her way through Christopher Newport College. She had a boyfriend, Terry, in high school but they had broken up some time after Sandra graduated in 1987. She had a class with Keith, and this is how they ended up going out for the first time on April 9th, 1988. So that evening, Keith picked Sandra up at her home in Grafton, Virginia. They went to the movies. Eventually, the two arrived at an apartment party near the Christopher Newport College campus in Newport News, where they went to school. Witnesses noted Keith and Sandra did not spend very much time together there. Sandra encountered, coincidentally or not, her former boyfriend, Terry, and some of his friends, while Keith stood virtually by himself. Eventually, Keith and Sandra left the party. However, their departure time could have been anywhere from 11.30 p.m. to 2.15 a.m. In addition, nobody can reliably say if the two left alone or with others. However, neither made it home. They were never seen again. Around 4 a.m. April 10th, just hours later, Keith's car was seen parked in a pull-off on the Colonial Parkway about a half hour from the apartment. Their clothes and shoes were in it, with the scene appearing as if Keith and Sandra had gone for a skinny dip in the nearby York River, despite the water being deathly cold. Searches were done. No evidence of the two were found. Distressingly, Keith's car was only a mile from where two women had been stabbed to death in a vehicle two years before. Two murders that are still unsolved to this day. For this part one, you will hear the first halves of interviews I've done with siblings of Keith and Sandra. Then in my summation, which is way longer than usual, I will begin to detail some of the work I've done since the summer of 2022, when I happened upon Keith and Sandra's case. In addition, I will explain my analysis as I worked my way through the mountain of information concerning the Colonial Parkway murders. For those of you who have been around long enough, this will remind you of the work I did in 2019 for the Cameron Remmer disappearance. But as we start this long journey, we'll be on for the next two weeks, I want you to contemplate these three questions as you listen to the rest of part one. Number one, remembering that disappearances are all about people, what type of disappearance were Keith and Sandra most likely to encounter given who they were? Number two, would these two have really gone to the parkway knowing what happened in the preceding two years? And number three, Why do some killers leave their victims behind while others hide their victims? Keith's and Sandra's families have no doubt that foul play occurred. 
although they waver back and forth as to whether the disappearances are connected to the murders. The guests for both Parts 1 and 2 are Joyce Call Canada and Chris Call, siblings of Keith Call, and Terry Haley Holman, sister of Sandra Haley. Unfound News The latest Unfound Now is now available to the public on the YouTube channel. Coincidentally, the disappearance in the episode got solved just days before making it watchable. That's a first. Still, please check out the video because there are some excellent educational points in it. Next, we have update episode number 13 coming up the last Friday of this month. Yep, lucky number 13. I have to be honest, I didn't think Unfound would even make it to update episode number 7. Funny how these things turn out. Finally, I'm going to Pennsylvania on December 22nd and coming back on the 30th. I predict no delays concerning the podcast or replying to any of your messages. The work will continue. Where you can find Unfound. On these following podcast platforms. Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and many others. Especially outside the United States. The new podcast, Unfound Live, which comes out on Tuesdays, can also be found on these platforms. Social media sites, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newest one, TikTok. Listener support sites, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. The website theunfoundpodcast.com The email address unfoundpodcast at gmail.com And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Cassandra Haley, Terry Haley Holman. Terry, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Uh, for the purposes of this um, discussion today, uh, we're doing this interview, by the way, for all the listeners and viewers on December 7th, 2022. Uh, I know sometimes that when we have talked that we've referred to her, you've referred to her as Sandra. Is that how you would like us to refer to her during this conversation? Or what did That's you call fine. her back then? Sandra? Well, I called her Missy. But oh, Missy. You called her Missy. Yeah, okay, most well, people knew her as Sandra. Okay, we will call her Sandra. Okay. Uh, Terry. So, Terry, thank you for joining us today uh, regarding Sandra and Keith's disappearances. Just um, to give an idea, what was the Haley home like during the 1980s? Uh, my understanding is you are uh, Sandra's older sister. How many other siblings do you have? What can you say about the Haley's uh, during the 1980s? And I'm around the same age, so I remember the 1980s fairly well, too. What can you say? Um... It was a lot of fun. We 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 didn't go out a lot, but we had a lot of friends over back then when when I was free and when everybody was free. We were all working at the same time and 
doing a lot of stuff. Sandra was working a lot and going to school. So our yeah. time didn't add up to being free at the same time a lot. Yeah. But at the time when we were all there, it was it was fun. Mm -hmm. So you have one more sibling besides you two? Yeah, there's one in the middle. Okay. Another sister? Yes. All, all three, all three girls. All how girls. did your father how did your father feel about that? Mm, he was spoiled. <laughs> he was well taken care of. Okay. All right. So he was the only male uh in the family, your mother and three girls, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So and uh maybe I should ask you this. How many years older are you than Sandra? Uh almost ten. Wow. Okay. So a little bit of yeah. a separation. So you're like yeah. nine when she was born. So yeah. when she went so missing, I was more like a mom than a sister. Yeah. Right. Of course. So she gets to be seven or eight. Maybe you had some like babysitting duties once in a while, something like that. I had a lot of babysitting duties. Of okay. Okay. All right. So that was, uh, and your, uh, parents were married. You all lived in the same house growing up. Yes. Okay. All well, right. We were military, so we moved a lot until oh. we moved to Virginia. And then my dad retired, and then oh, we what? stayed. In, they stayed in this house. I don't think I knew that. Uh, okay. What branch of the military? Air Force. Air Force. Okay. Okay. And what was he? Well, let's just ask. Uh, I need to ask you that. What was your father in the Air Force? What did he do? He was an ammunition crew chief. Taking care of the bullets and the missiles. I love it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very neat. Okay. Now let's uh, move on to talking about Sandra a little bit. Like you said, you were nine years older, almost kind of like a second mother to her. What are some of the personality traits, interests, hobbies? Maybe you want to talk about what it was like to babysit her back in maybe, I guess it would be like the early eighties. Um, what can you say about all of that, her personality and things that Sandra was into as a girl? Uh, she was into gymnastics, um, cheerleading, mm -hmm. just, she was a good baby. She really was. She didn't, yeah. didn't get into any trouble. Um, mm -hmm. so she wasn't a sometimes handful. She didn't listen. I mean, one time we went camping and Paula mm -hmm. and I wanted to go exploring and we told her to wait wait here we'll be right back and she because we were crossing a log that went across water uh -huh. and we told her to wait because she was too small to cross that log a few seconds later we hear a splash and hear her screaming and she didn't wait <laughs> she <laughs> okay. fell in all we right to run back my mom and dad heard her fall so yeah, yeah. she didn't okay. listen real well <laughs> all right and so she had to get rescued okay yeah she was and a little adventurous <laughs> okay, I can understand that. Okay, and so uh, babysitting her, like I said, maybe you're a teenager, maybe she's like five or six or something like that. No big deal, though. You know, no. fairly well behaved. Well, she was the first one of us to get a broken bone. Oh, she was. Okay. How did yeah, that she fell off the monkey bars and broke her arm. Oh, yeah, she, yeah, she was, yeah. She was okay. fearless. Okay, yeah. she's fearless, <laughs> likes to climb on logs, goes into the water, monkey bars, yeah. and all. Okay. All right, so she was into maybe gymnastics. Maybe that's where that that came from. She yeah. jump off things and roll around. And okay, what about her personality? Introverted, extroverted, made friends easily. Um, what would you say? Very outgoing. Mm -hmm. 
very outgoing, very trusting, very, um, she would give you the shirt off her back. She would give you her last dollar. Mm -hmm. Okay. And being yeah. that you were uh, nine years older than her, and once again, as you stated, like uh, like a second mother, uh, was did that then change into more like a friendship as sisters usually have, or did it still continue to be kind of that uh, mother-daughter th uh, thing going on, even though uh -huh. you were technically her mother? How would you explain that? Like, like what there you got to maybe like we were. There were times that we were friends and we hung out as friends and then there were other times that i butted in and tried to mother yeah okay. and it got okay. ugly but okay okay <laughs> and what about your uh middle sister uh how what role did she play in all of this and um, um you know what do you think she would buddies. say they what? were always buddies they were always buddies how yeah. close are they in age um three years Three years, so three, very, three years very apart. Close. All right. So, and you're six years older than your middle sister. Okay. So, it was you, and then some years, and then your middle sister, and then Sandra Alt in that the three. Yeah. Years. Okay. Um, getting up. Um, now we have to understand that you, at the time of her disappearance in 1988, you had already moved out. In fact, I think that you were married by this That's time. That's been maybe? gone for a long time. Yeah, Not for a long time. Okay. What at, at what point did you move out of your house? How long had you not lived like under the same roof that Sandra had? How long had that been? Uh, 1979. <laughs> wow, you didn't waste yeah. any time. You were like, I'm 18, no. I'm out of here. Nope. Okay. That's, My that's mom what gave I... me a suitcase for graduation. <laughs> <laughs> Say, kind of uh, sending you a message? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, well, yeah, touche to mom. All right, and uh, do you think that, um, but that didn't happen, I guess, with uh, Sandra, because she, of course, was still living at home. Uh, of course, she was going to college, and we're going to talk about yeah. that, but she was still living at home. Different standard there, or just oh, different personality? Big, okay. big time difference. Okay. Oh, yeah. If All I right. was a minute late for my midnight curfew, mm -hmm. I was grounded. For weeks, uh -huh. yeah. Sandra, so, a yeah, different, there was a though? big difference big with difference. each one. Okay, so from 1979 when she gave you a lo the luggage to get out to 1987/88 when Sandra graduated from high school, things had changed. And oh yeah, was... and I was I was already 18 when I graduated high school. Yeah, but the rules were still different. Yeah. Okay, so different standards. She's the baby of the family, and maybe that happens in a lot of families. Okay, all right, so different standards. Um, she gets into high school, and what, of course, you moved out. You're, you're on the way, but what do you understand about her high school years? We're going to get into some specifics here in a moment, but what do you understand about her high school years? She do well in school. Um, you know, what do you think that she, she wanted? Did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as far as I know, she did. I know her primary focus was gymnastics and cheerleading. Mm -hmm. As far as the grades, I really don't know. Okay. And do you, did she ever talk about maybe when you spoke to her, did you, what were her aspirations for a career? Of course, we know where she went to school, but what do you have any ideas what she wanted to do with life? Be a teacher, no engineer? No idea. It never came up. Mm -mm. Okay. All right. I don't know that she knew yet. Yeah, well, that maybe that's not unusual. A lot of uh, a lot of kids are like that, in, including myself. Yeah. You know, back at that time. Okay. 
So she's outgoing, she's into cheerleading, and I guess we just take for granted that cheerleaders are usually fairly popular. And, um, you know, you know, even I know, once again, being that this is my generation, Generation X. So um, let's move on to this. Some items. Uh, do you have any idea how she ended up picking Christopher Newport as her school to go to? Do you think that she looked at any other schools um like old dominion or any other schools in that area any any idea whatsoever i don't know but maybe because my sister paula went there oh she did yeah okay okay and you know it was close to home she could live at home and go because my parents weren't paying for it so she had to pay for it oh Oh, okay so all right so she was paying for education yeah um what work was she doing? How how was she? I'm guessing she got some loans, of course. Um, but what she was worked she doing at Regis. She was a nanny. She mm-hmm. also um, helped coach um, gymnastics at one of the high schools. So she she had several different jobs. Okay, so she was fairly busy. I mean, between school she and work, was really busy. Not a lot of time for other things, I guess. Not really. Okay. What is? Did you say Regis? What is that? A hair salon. Oh, okay. Did she cut hair? No, she was the front receptionist. Oh, front receptionist. She made all the appointments. Oh, okay. All right. She's she's doing that. And she let them practice on her hair because she had beautiful hair. So I I, I saw that. Yeah. She disappeared. They asked what color hair she had, and we all had to look at each other and go, "What color was it this week?" Because they oh, were constantly change. changing her hair. Okay. So she was getting her hair done for free then. Yeah, that's that's a nice deal yeah. for women. That's that, that's a big deal. That can save women a lot of money for sure. Yeah, that's a nice and deal. Yes, sometimes it was short. Sometimes it was long. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we were kind of like, well, uh, we think it was red this week, but we're not sure. <laughs> okay. All right. So she's certainly not a, a lazy young woman. She's going to school. No. She's getting her education. She's paying for education, which uh, I, I did not, to be honest. But a lot of people, kids that do that, you have the utmost respect for them, you know, working and through school, it can be very difficult. So a lot of um, good qualities of her. Let's move on to this. And the reason we're going to talk about him is because it's, he was at this party that night. But what can we say about Terry Kirby? Of course, his name has been uh, out there before. In fact, it's even mentioned in the book that's been written about uh, the murders and disappearances that you know, everybody's connected together. Um, what can you say about uh, them dating in high school? What did you know about it? Um, what can you say? I didn't know about it until after the fact. Hmm. Uh, any so- particular, is that uh, just because she kept her boyfriend's kind of secret? Of course, you had moved uh, out. Uh, do you think that your her your parents knew that the two were dating, or was it something that was on the down low? My as mom say? knew. Okay. And my sister Paula knew. Mm-hmm. Why I didn't know, I have no idea. Okay, so in all the conversations you ever had with Sandra back at the time, Terry's name never came up. Um, he did because we all went to parties at their house. So, at the Cur- at the Kirby at house. The Kirby's, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. But she never said anything about dating him. Huh. I knew they were friends. 
but mm -hmm. she never really said. Okay. But she never said anything about dating anybody. Okay. Okay. Um, did so they had these parties? Uh, Kirby's had parties, and I understand that he does have some older brothers, maybe. maybe I knew somewhere Wayne better than I knew Terry. Uh, okay. All right. So you knew one, one of Terry's older brothers, yeah. and um, what do you think, as best as you can tell? And I realize it's been thirty some years later, and you really just have to go by what other people said. Uh, did being that you didn't know, but your mother knew, are you then saying that your father didn't know? Not as far as I know, he didn't. Okay. But everybody who went to the high school that they went to, I think it's called Tab High School, was it, did everybody understand that when the two were in school that they were a couple? As far as I know, yeah. Okay. And we have to understand, we have to make clear though, and this is just something that in working my, doing my, I guess my own work regarding this, is that technically Terry was two years behind uh, Sandra in school. They were yes. not, they were not in the same grade. He was uh, right. behind her in school. All right. So she's in college. He's still in high school. Right. Okay. Do we know anything? Um, of course, she didn't even know um, they were a couple until after she went missing. How did that even come up? Um, I think my mom may have said something at that point. Because I know okay. she called him to ask him to go check, I guess, the basketball court where they hung out. To see if she was there. Okay. All right. So you didn't find out that they had been a couple in high school until after she went missing. And uh, that you found out that through your mother. Either my mother or my ex-husband. I can't remember which. Okay. Because I, I think he knew. Okay. And once again, for everybody listening, the only reason we're talking about this is because a, a person who was very, very close to Sandra at uh, one time just happened to be at this party and we'll come back to this later. Um, what have you, um, of course, as everybody now knows, I'm also interviewing Keith's brother and sister for uh, the coverage of these uh, disappearances. Um, what is your understanding as to how Sandra and Keith knew each other? Your understanding. Um, from school, from college, they had shared a class together. Okay. That's my understanding. All right. And once again, you never, you knew of Terry, but Keith's name, that is not a name you had ever heard until after the disappearances occurred? Um, no, I met him the night that they went out. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes, well, I talked a little bit about My mom that, and dad's um, taking my parents out to dinner. Um, and Keith came and picked Sandra up. So I met him huh. then. Wow. That, so it was just really a coincidence. You just happened to be there at the right time. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So you're there taking your parents out and at the, roughly the same time, Sandra and Keith are going out. We know now that we're going to get into that night, but they go to a movie and then end up at this party. So you just had maybe a minute interaction with Keith. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Saying. Maybe five. Okay. And you, when you showed up there, you maybe didn't even know that Sandra was going out. Um, you remember? I don't remember if I knew or not. Okay. That's fine. I don't uh, remember. Okay. And do you, uh, if you, of course, it's been 34 years since these disappearances have happened. In talking to your other sister, Paula, do you think that she had ever heard of Keith before Sandra and Keith went out that night? Any idea? Probably not. Probably not. 
Okay. And your understanding is this is the first time the two ever went out. Yeah. Have we ever got together to have like a social occasion? I don't know if we want to call it a date or whatever else, but your yeah. understanding, this is the first time the two ever went out together alone. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Let's move on to some just general questions about that area of uh, Virginia and everything that was going on at the time. How aware were the locals, including even, of course, your family, your firsthand knowledge, how aware were locals and yourselves aware of the murders in uh, 1986 uh, regarding, of course, we now know of these two women who were uh, I guess, stabbed or slashed, their car was uh, burnt. And I know that you know some of those family members from both of those families. But how aware were locals, including your family, aware of what happened up on the Colonial Parkway in 1986? I don't know about my parents. They may have been more aware of it mm -hmm. than I was. And, and I don't know how I didn't know because I was still in law enforcement then, but okay, somewhere else. Okay. Um, but... I traveled that road to go to and from work mm -hmm. and usually in the middle of the night because <laughs> I worked night shift, but I didn't watch the news. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would go home, go to sleep, wake up and go back to work. So I, I didn't, I didn't know. Okay. I would you say right past it? Didn't know. Okay. So it is at least conceivable that there were people in the Newport news Gloucester area, you know, on either side of the river there who uh, maybe didn't know about the, the murders on the parkway at all in 1986. It's at least possible. Yeah, I lived in Gloucester at the time. Gloucester and, and really- and, and I may have, so I could go home either through the parkway, go across the bridge, or I could go out and go up through West Point and go in the back way. Either way, it was an hour drive. So mm -hmm. depending on how tired I felt and which way I wanted to drive, it just it depended um i i really did not know okay would you say that I'm you sure didn't... my parents did okay. they watched would you the news would you say that you didn't know about those murders until after sandra went missing yeah i did okay. until then yeah okay so that's 1986 that's we're just going to be very rough with this two years before we know these two women those murders are still unsolved they were up there in the Colonial Parkway and they had been stabbed to death. There were no signs of rape or anything, but they were stabbed to death. And somebody tried to light the, the car on fire with diesel fuel, but that doesn't work due to diesel needing a higher um, temperature to ignite. But the person tried to get rid of the car. Those murders are still unsolved. Let's just move up to the murders then in 1987. So a year before the disappearances we're talking about of Keith and Sandra, same thing. Were you aware of it? Were the locals aware of it at all? No, the ones in Ragged Island? No, huh? I didn't know okay. about that one either. Okay. So, and so what, and we realized, and everybody knows there were articles written at the time, but what we're showing here is that, yeah, they happened, but even somebody like Terry, who lived in that area, even though she's, like she said, she was in law enforcement at the time, just going about her daily life, she realized these things were going on. So it's at least conceivable a lot of other people didn't either. Mm -hmm. Do you think that? Cassandra or Sandra knew about those murders. Uh, after the fact, did you ever talk to your parents? Were they, of course, when this all started to come together, do you think that Sandra I, knew about those murders? I doubt she knew. I doubt she knew. She was just as busy as I was. Mm -hmm. The last thing she's going to do is sit down, read a newspaper, or mm -hmm. sit and watch the news. 
Okay. Unless somebody actually told her about it, I doubt she knew. Okay. Very good. So this is how things maybe for the audience, this is how things maybe can get a little construed over the years or misconstrued, whatever the word is, where everybody now knows because of, of course, books and all these TV shows have been done. But here we are, we're talking to a person who was an adult at the time, Terry, who admits, you know what? I was living, working, living my life right in the area. I was going past these spots all the time and I didn't know. So we must kind of think that maybe a lot of other people didn't know either. And this, I think, is something important to remember. For There was not was social not media. There was not no. all right. this stuff where people were in your business knowing everything and, right. you know, all Excellent. out there spewing it. It, it wasn't there. Excellent point. That's totally true. And we're going to come back to that a little later when we get more into these particulars. Next point. Did Sandra have a curfew? Yes. Okay. And do you, would you happen to be able to guess, uh, you of course stated uh, quite humorously earlier in this interview that you had a curfew. And if you were late by one minute, you got in trouble. What was your curfew? And do you think it was the same curfew for Sandra? And what was that curfew? Oh, no, they were not the same. Mine was midnight. Wow. And hers was either one o'clock or two o'clock. Okay. So she gets the states. Not only is she younger, she's the baby. She gets to live at home and everything. She gets the later curfew too. Okay. Oh yeah. And she can call and say, oh, I'm not going to make it. I'm staying at so-and-so's house. Mm -hmm. I, I could not do that. Okay. And for purposes I did not of get that privilege. Okay. All right. I guess that's, <laughs> that's the curse of being born first, Terry. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so we're, but I guess for purposes of these disappearances, then we're still not sure what the curfew is. Of course, there's a time out there that has been, you know, 2 AM quote unquote. It, has it been, was two. My, my was, mom told Keith to have her home before two. All right. So we're going to go by 2 AM. Yeah. So I was there was, when my mom said it. Okay. Next general question before we get into the details and explaining that night. To your knowledge, after Sandra went missing, did anything come up of her having any problems with any men at the time being stalked, being harassed? Somebody, you know, like, you know, of course, before people could email and text each other, maybe guys driving by her house, anything like that. Have you ever heard anything like that? Having problems with any men? Not that I'm aware of. None. Okay. And there's also this out there, had, uh, had Sandra been to a party at the same complex the night before? I don't know if it was at the same complex, but I know she was out the night before. Okay. All right. I'm not so positive if it was there or somewhere else. Okay. So the night before, that would have been Friday night. They went missing on Saturday night. So the night before, she was out somewhere, but it was not with Keith. Do you even know? Did she go out with friends by herself? Do we even know? I don't know. Okay. All right. So she had been out uh, the night before, but we're not quite sure where she went and who she was with. Maybe um, that might be something that my you know, mom people... probably knows. I don't know if she, my mom knew. I don't know if she'll remember now, okay. but my mom knew where she was because she called my mom and said she wasn't coming home. Okay. All right. Um, did Sandra have her own car? I mean, if she was going to school, was there like a family car? How did she, she had get... my parents' old car? Okay, yeah. so that was the car that she exclusively drove. Yeah, on her own. All right. So conceivably, if it's night before, she could have gone. She could have driven to that party by herself because she had her own car. She didn't need picked up. 
for example. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's move on to April 9th slash 10th of 1988. You've already stated that coincidentally you showed up at the house and there Keith was with Sandra uh, and they were leaving. Your understanding just in general, what do you know about their movements uh, for that night? They were going to a movie and then they were going by a party. Okay. Do you uh, do you know what theater they went to? What would be the the no I idea? I don't know. Don't know. Don't even know what they were going to see. Okay. All right, and I might have to look that up to see what movies would have been popular in April of 1988. That might be interesting that a couple might go to see. Okay, so uh, was there like a movie theater like near where you lived or where you grew up? I should say. There might have been one in Patrick Henry Mall. Mm-hmm. And I know there was one in Coliseum Mall in Hampton. Mm-hmm. I think are the only two I know of. Okay. So everybody's belief at the time is that they're going to the movies, not sure if they're going to go to dinner or whatever else, but they went to this party and then, uh, or they went to this movie and then they went to this party, of course, that was the last place that they were seen. And uh, listeners should know, of course, I'm interviewing Keith's sister and brother, and they're going to add in, uh, certainly Chris is going to add in some context to him seeing Keith uh, before Keith ended up at Sandra's house. Okay. Uh, just some of my uh, questions about the party. What did, do you think, given that it was like still in the area, this college uh, is where all of you grew up, would it, do you think it would have been Cassandra's idea to go to this party? Oh, sure. Um, what did the witnesses say about, and I've talked to them uh, before uh, people are hearing our voice or seeing us. I've gotten to talk to a couple of these witnesses, but what can you say the witnesses said about Cassandra and Keith at this party? What were they doing? What's the general consensus? Um, that they were talking separately to other people, not really talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, it didn't look like they were having that good of a time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that was pretty much it. Okay. So they went to the party together, but it seems as soon as they got there, uh, uh, Sandra goes up. off and they kind of split up. Yeah. For the time. Okay. And that this That's is what pretty much what I heard. Is said. Okay. And as we spoke before, uh, Terry Kirby was there. Yes. Okay. Do you um, think that Sandra knew he was going to be there? Um, I don't know, but I would mm-hmm. venture to guess she assumed he would be. Okay. And what do you understand is the status of their relationship at the time of her disappearance? Of course, they went to high school together. She's He's a couple years behind. They were a couple, but did they break up? What What was the status? They were taking a break, was my understanding. All right. So they were taking a break, just like Keith and Selena uh, were yeah. taking a break, coincidentally, right at the same time. Okay. And so did the witnesses state that the people who saw Sandra, like um, like a friend of Sandra's who was there, 
Uh, Sandra spent most of the time talking to K Terry and some of his friends who were also there. That's my understanding. Okay. Any problems at all? Anybody, um, any fights, no. any arguments, no. any, anything like that at all that you've ever heard about in the last 34 years? No. Okay. Moving on to later that night, they're at this party and we're, and I'll talk a little bit more with uh, Keith. I'm talking a little bit more with Keith and, or with Chris and Joyce about Keith's and their understanding of that night. We're just going to stick to Sandra. What is your understanding about when they left? Um, what did people say about Keith and Sandra leaving? Did they leave together? Anybody with them? Uh, and, and when? What, it, what well, has been? Well, that's where it gets kind of fuzzy. Mm -hmm. I, I hear different scenarios of what exactly happened. Mm -hmm. But... And just give me an, just give the the audience some examples of different what you've heard, just to give them a sample. Well, people's recollection of what happened isn't the same as statements given at the time. Okay. So. Um, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll help you along with. I'll help you along with this. So what you're saying is, what people said maybe said in 1988 is not what they said later, right? Okay. And in addition, do, do we have stories out there that some people say they left at 11:30, and then some people said 1:30, and in fact, there's even somebody who said that she insists that she saw them there after 2 a.m. Is that correct? Um. Well, not the 2 a.m. But okay. that she she walked them to the car, and mm -hmm. the fact is that she wasn't even there when they left. I see. Okay. All right, so we have some discrepancies. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any good handle if the police, once they got involved, and of course we know a lot of different groups or organizations were involved in this back at the time, uh, do you think they have a firm grasp on the exact time that Keith and Sandra left, or do you think they're just as confused as everybody else? Your your impression <laughs> over the last thirty some years. Here, Wait, please. Oh, I don't think they have a firm grasp on any of it. <laughs> okay, that's what we want. I'm always asking for the truth. I'm, I always want honesty on here. Uh, so you think that they're just as up in the air about this as everybody else? Uh, yeah, I think okay. it's a major cluster. <laughs> okay, that, that's fair enough. Thank you for being honest uh, with that. So all we really know is that your your opinion is that she was supposed to be home by 2 a.m. and they would have had to have left the party at some point to get her home by 2 a.m. Yeah. All right, so whether they left at 12.30 or 1.30, but it's not that long of a drive, correct? No, it's about a 20-minute drive. Okay. So they're at this party, just seems like a regular college party. And I, I have to ask you this. Have you ever heard anything over the last 30 some years that anything other than alcohol was being done at this party? No, I, I hadn't, no. Any uh, marijuana, any, uh, you know, ecstasy? I would I think... assume there was, but I didn't, I haven't heard that. No, any, of course, you know, once again, uh, putting myself back at the time I went from college from, 
89 to 93. Maybe ecstasy was just starting to kind of be anything. Any illicit drugs? Have you ever heard any of that being at this party? No. Okay. Did not hear that. Okay. So, of course, we know that Sandra did not get home. And what is your understanding of what your family did when she did not get home by 2 a.m.? Did, for example, did they try calling Keith's house? Did they go out and drive around? Did they try calling any of um, no, Sandra's um, friends? What happened? My mom did wake up and notice that she wasn't home. Um, so she sat on the couch and waited for a little while. And she fell asleep on the couch. Okay. Um, and then the park rangers called the house uh, about 8.30 in the morning. Huh. And asked Saying if that- Sandra was at the house. All right. And this is because and the that's car had when found- everything started. Okay. Uh, at the time when, when your parents got that call that Keith's car has been found. And once again, we're going to go into that maybe a lot more in depth with Joyce and Chris, but what was your family thinking right at the time when they find out that uh, Sandra's with Keith and Keith's car is found out in the Colonial Parkway. Do you know what was going through their mind at the time? Um, any ideas? Um, well, I was on my way over there already, and this was before cell phones. Yeah. So uh, she meets me in the driveway and wants me to get um, a friend of mine who has a canine is a canine officer wants okay. me to go get her to go search the parkway and it takes me a few minutes to figure out what she's talking about mm-hmm. and um i'm like she wouldn't have gone to the parkway okay why 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 am, why am i going to the parkway and they said she says they said she went swimming and i said well that's bullshit. she didn't go swimming okay i said i'm i'll go up there and and get this straight mm-hmm. and they said oh no they don't want you to go up there and i said well i don't give a shit. they want them going up there okay so i wait for a little bit to see what's going to happen and i call a couple of my friends with york county to see if they can get me some information i get the stall tactic from them and I finally just go up there, and that's when I find everybody and his brother in the car, trampling all over everything. And I go high and to the right, and <sighs> you lost. You kind of uh, went off on all of them. I did. I was like, okay. I don't know what kind of idiot idiots you are, but they did not walk down that hill right there to go swimming. Okay. The water was 40 degrees last night. They did not go swimming. Mm-hmm. My sister doesn't like the water. She did not go swimming. Mm-hmm. They didn't walk that way naked to go swimming. You're contaminating a crime scene. Get out. Stop. And, and who who were these people? The park you know, I mean, not by name, but who, what organizations were they? What the park, park service. The park service. Okay. And you said you were but in by law that enforcement. Time, it, was, it was too late. It was too late. And you were in law enforcement at the time. What department did you work for and what was your uh, role? What was your occupation with that? By that time, I was working for the government. Oh. Yeah. So I wasn't with the city anymore. So 
there wasn't much I could do. All right. Okay. So I, I think it was two days later before the FBI got involved. Mm -hmm. And by that time, it was completely ruined. Completely messed they up. called in dog teams and were mm -hmm. spent two days dragging the river. And a hundred people had walked all over that crime scene. Okay. So you show up there. The park rangers are in the car, and we're going to get into the clothes stuff in a little bit. They're in there. Sitting and, in you, and what is, we maybe need to understand this. Is this federal property where this was? Yes. Okay. Parks, it's Colonial Parkway. It's Right. Yeah. Okay. So this is federal property. So the park rangers are there. FBI gets involved a couple days later. So, And they only get involved because they hear the news report on the radio. Nobody ever called them. They heard it on the radio and they're like, uh, maybe we need to go check this out. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever made the, the FBI? phone call. The FBI? Yeah. Okay. The FBI two years later, two days later. Okay. So you're, so when it comes to local jurisdictions and uh, any local jurisdictions involved being that this federal property, maybe you can explain that to all of us. Well, your county tried to investigate mm -hmm. um, in the beginning. And they started, uh, Newport News started in, at the college because that's where they were last seen. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the FBI got involved because it was on federal property, yeah, everybody got pushed out. And we, okay. we as family members all said, why can't you work together since it, it's a multi-area issue they you don't know exactly where the crime scene is. They were last seen here. You the car appears to be dumped here. Mm -hmm. Why can't you work together? Well, they tried that and it yeah, it did not work well. Right. Now we've run into that so, several times before and other disappearances for sure. Okay. We're gonna may probably come back to that in a bit. Uh when does your family eventually meet with the call family keith's family and you have like a powwow a, a meeting uh regarding all of this and what is said um you know regarding all um, of this what, what are the conversations before did between? the only thing that we ever tried to do is um fundraisers to raise money for a reward mm -hmm. so you don't know of a time once again i realize you have your own life to live you have a job you're, you're, you know you've moved out and everything but you don't know about any conversation or meeting, you know, very private meeting at one of their houses where your parents got together with Keith's parents and they talked this all over about what went on that night and all of that. You don't know anything about that. No, I don't. Okay. Don't know if that ever happened. Okay. Um, it was it somewhere in here. Oh, you show up there. The park rangers are doing uh, their thing. How was, how soon was it after that you personally found out about the, the other murders that are seemingly connected to the Colonial Parkway. Was it right around then or was it later? It was later. Okay. So in those first few days, then nobody that never came to anybody's mind in any conversation. Nope. You ever had. nope. They still are not putting two and two together. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. Um, so when the missing persons report got filed for Sandra, um, did it get filed with the FBI? Did it get it filed with the park rangers? Who actually got the report? Um, I think mom filed it with York County because she's a, a, you know, lives in York County. Okay. 
Okay. So you were actually there that morning. You got to see the car uh, right there uh, along Colonial Parkway. Yes. You got to see right where they found it. Uh, how close would you say, being that you got to see it firsthand, how close was it to the road? Within oh, It's right on the road. It's not one of those that you would pull off to make out. It's it's one of those that you just pull through, read the sign, and keep going. Mm -hmm. So you would say that the car was within 50 feet of the, the road? Uh, you know, um, oh, Less than that. Less than that. Okay, so that's where it was. Okay. And so already, I guess what we're saying, I have a question for you. And of course, as the listeners know, we follow outlines for all the interviews that we do for Unfound and, and Terry had received it. So this is a question. So, so at least on the surface, and I know you reject this, and I, I, of course I do too, but it did, at least on the surface, look like the two went for a swim. <laughs> I know you, I know you reject that. But could yeah, you say no that somebody was, could you say when you saw the car in there that somebody was making it look like they went for a swim? Is that your Somebody opinion? tried to make it look like they did. Okay. That and being, and I think this is very important because Terry was there very early on, just a few hours after the car. She got to see it firsthand where the car was. This isn't something that was, to, you know, told days later or anything. You saw the car where it was on the parkway. You know where the river was. And you know the state of the clothes and everything, but somebody seemingly made it look like they went for a swim, even though it was like 40 degree weather and 40 degree water temperature. But they didn't do their homework very well because there's no way you could have walked down that cliff. Okay. And you, you got to look at that. Okay. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the siblings of Keith Call, Joyce Call Canada, and Chris Call. Chris and Joyce, welcome to Unfound. Thank, thank you. you for having us. You're very welcome. And thank you for appearing on both audio and video uh, for uh, this interview. Let's start here. We'll start with uh, Ladies Go First. Uh, Joyce, what can you tell the listeners about the Call family in the 1980s? How would you explain it? Of course, we're going to give your brother, Chris, a chance to talk about it too, but just very quickly, what would you say, like, the culture uh, of the Call family? Gosh, I think, I guess we were just a typical family back in the 80s. Um, there was five of us. I've got four brothers. And Keith was the middle. And uh, when Keith did disappear, I was already out of the home, but I was close in the area. And uh, But we were, we just grew up a typical family. I mean... We got along pretty good most of the time. And then when we didn't, we rolled around the floor fighting. <laughs> uh -huh. Basically, we had a pretty good uh, family life, you know. So, uh, Joyce, you were one of the old oldest? Children. I am the oldest. You the are oldest. the oldest. And then there were four boys after you. Yes. Wow, look at you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how much of a difference in age are you and Keith? Seven, seven years. Seven, seven years older. Okay, thank you. And uh, moving down to Chris, what? where are you in the uh, pecking order of the children? I'm like two years younger than Joy, so the second oldest. Second oldest. Okay, yeah. so you are Keith's older brother, and Keith, you said, in the is in the middle. And uh, maybe we need to give a shout-out at this point. We don't want to forget the other siblings. Your two other brothers, what are their names, uh, Chris? Doug, Douglas and Stephen. 
Doug and Steven. Okay. And they were old, uh, younger than Keith. Um, just a few years, many years. Doug was just a few years younger. They were pretty close, but Steven was quite a bit younger. He was the, the youngest of them, much younger. Okay. Yes. All right. So we have Joyce leading the way and uh, four boys after that. That's, uh, that is unique. It's uh, five kids mm -hmm. and one girl. Okay. And uh, parents married, everybody uh, living under one roof together. Right. Yes. Okay. And Chris, you had, uh, by the time that Keith disappeared, you were, had also moved out, correct? Yes, I wasn't far. I was in Gloucester Point. Not too far at all. Actually, very close to where it all happened, actually. Okay. All right. So you two both were out of the home by this time. So I guess then Keith was the oldest uh, uh, child living at home. Correct. The time. Right. Okay, very good. All right. So everybody living there. And uh, I understand, uh, Joyce, your father, we're going to talk about, of course, later. Uh, but is, your father was in beer distribution or something? Is that? Yeah, he was a, a supervisor out at Anheuser-Busch. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what department, Chris? Do you remember? He was, he was, uh, an, electrician. He was an electrician. Yeah. And he was a, a supervisor at the Van Houser Bush in Williamsburg, Virginia. Okay. And your mother worked too, or just a uh, housewife, stay-at-home mom? Stay-at-home mom. Stay-at-home mom. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to this. Now, let's just talk about uh, Keith in particular. I'll start now uh, with Chris first. Um, how would you compare uh, Keith's personality, introverted, extroverted, compared to... Uh, the rest of the children, would you, Chris, say you were a lot like Keith, or was he, like, unique among the children? How would you explain it? I would say Keith would be more extroverted, especially compared to me. And when I was younger, I was more introverted, and I still hate to be introverted. Um, he was definitely more friendlier. I mean, extroverted, um, would go out of his way to speak to people. Very kind, very kind soul. Mm -hmm. yes. I'm okay. a kind soul, too. <laughs> I, I think you are. I've gotten to know you. I would agree with that. Okay. Um, so would you say that maybe the other children a little more uh, introverted, Joyce? Were you uh, kind of the same way introverted? Is that how you explain Keith as well? Keith. Um, how was Keith? Yeah. Is that what you want to know? Yeah. yeah. I'd say he, he was really friendly. He was friendly. Um, he got along well with people. I don't remember him having really any enemies or people I don't remember him talking bad about people either but he was just friendly he you know he liked to go out and with his friends he liked to go to the beach um, he was the type of fella I mean he went to school and he came home and he had a part-time job and he went he just did things right you know he I don't know what it was because I didn't you know when I was his age but he yeah. it was always so proud and amazed it's like how does he do that <laughs> he does mm -hmm. what he's supposed to do you know and he always did and he he was just um he did what he said he was going to do he was good he used to take my little brother to the movies on Sundays all the time you know when there was kids movies out and it was just like how did he get all this goodness <laughs> okay. a little rat uh, uh, Chris, <laughs> I guess uh, I was comparing, I was comparing him to me is what I was mm -hmm. doing. I was a little hell get for hellraiser. 
Okay. All right. Maybe we need to, we'll talk about that maybe in another interview choice. Um, Chris, would, uh, was uh, Keith athletic? Was he into sports, music? What was he into? He was somewhat athletic. Um, I don't think he was like super into sports, but um, he was more into computers, if I remember correctly. All yeah, right, he was so... proper computer. They have a call them computer geeks now, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was sort of into that. And I actually think that's what he was studying. Okay, so back in the 1980s, we're all kind of uh, in the same age range here, um, kind of Gen Xers. Uh, I'm 52, so maybe going back to the 1980s, I think of like the Commodore 64. And he had uh, that. That's what he had. Yeah, That's Commodore had. 64 is the, is the uh, computer that comes to mind. Of course, Apple also got started in the 1980s as well. So he was into that outgoing uh, personality. And you, uh, Joyce, you had mentioned that he had a job. What was he? Uh, what job did he have? And maybe if he was working at the time of his disappearance, maybe you can say what what that is. Well, yeah, he worked uh, in a boatyard and local to the area because we're around a lot of water and a lot of boatyards. And so he worked in a boatyard, repairing and yeah. Okay, and that's what he was doing at the time of his disappearance. Yes. Okay. All right. So outgoing into computers, maybe at least a little athletic. Uh, sounds to me maybe a little more outgoing uh, than the than the rest of the children. Uh, the way you're explaining it, nice guy taking his little brother uh, out to the movies on Sundays. Okay, very good. Let's move on to this. Uh, his education, uh, if you know, and I realize both of you are out the ho- out of the house by this time. Do you know why he picked to go? to Christopher uh, Newport to that school? Did he like entertain the idea of maybe going at some other schools that have popped up during, you know, talking with people like Old Dominion or Elon? Why what, Why was it Christopher Newport? Any idea? Either Probably one. because he could drive there and he could commute there. And it was a four year school that he could commute to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right, and it was uh, fairly close. He could commute, he could live at home, and go there. Right. Okay, and you think maybe, uh, what uh, what um, class was he in? Was he a freshman, junior? He was freshman. He was just freshman. a freshman when he disappeared. Yes. Okay. Yeah. okay, all right, second semester freshman year. Okay, all right, so that's why I picked it. And was this came, kind of came up when I was talking to uh, Terry, uh, Cassandra's sister. And the listeners should know we're doing this interview on December 9th of 2022. And I interviewed uh, Cassandra a few days ago, or I interviewed Terry a few days ago. But uh, was Keith uh, paying his own way through school, like working through school, getting loans, or what was he doing? I think it was both. I think my parents were helping him some, and then he was probably working for spending money. I don't think it was super expensive to go to school, but not like it is now. I don't think it was super expensive, but they were helping, and he was working to, for spending money. So, Okay. Very Sounds good. right to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, any ideas about how he was doing there? Any Was he doing well in school? Do you even know? Once again, I realize you both had your own lives to live at the time. Any idea how he was doing? I think he was doing rather well, actually. Okay. Right, Joy? Yeah, I don't. 
I'm assuming he was. I I didn't. I I think we would have heard if he wasn't. We would have heard if he wasn't. And I I'm assuming that he was doing pretty well. Yeah. B student. I mean, I think he was a high B student. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Let's move on to this. Uh, This is uh, probably going to be a topic later, and listeners should know I have spoken to her. But let's talk about Selena. This is his girlfriend from high school. Uh, They had uh, been a girl, uh, been a couple for what I would call several several years, especially considering they were both just in their teenage uh, years. But uh, Joyce, maybe we'll start with you. I realize you don't know all the intricacies of the relationship, but what can you say about Selena? How did how did she and uh, Keith meet? Uh, what can you say about that? And how many times did you meet Selena? And what kind of relationship did they have? Um, I've known Selena for years. Um, I, I guess I don't know exactly how that started. I never asked, but I'm assuming just from high school, they knew each other from high school. They didn't live very far from us. And, uh, and I really liked Selena. I still do like Selena. And but she was over our house a lot um, because they lived close. And so I would see her fairly often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, so you um, thought that uh, they made a good couple? Oh, yeah, they made a good couple. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were young and I, I never knew what was going to become of it. You know, they were young, but they spent a lot of time together. They did a lot of things together. Okay. Hung out together. And uh, were they in the same grade? Or I, I, I have, like I said, I, I spoke to her, but I don't remember. Were they in the same class? Did they graduate together? Or was she one? I year think before? she was a year ahead of him. A year ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Any idea if she was a year ahead? Why, if they were a couple, that um, Keith didn't maybe go to the same school that that she did? She did not go to Christopher Newport. She went somewhere else. But any I ideas? Think, do you know Chris? I really don't know. I don't know if there really was a reason except the fact maybe they um it was more expensive. I'm not really sure. I'm sure it was more money to go to ODU. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's and that's where she I went. I think she was actually planning on going to ODU. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why it didn't happen or if he was gonna transfer later on or what, but you know, it's been a long time, but I know right. I remember it coming up before. Okay, very good. And Chris, uh, were you aware that at the time of Keith's disappearance, that Selena and Keith uh, were, you know, now in, I guess, uh, started, I guess, in the 1990s with uh, Rachel and Ross, with they were on a break. Um, were you aware at the time of Keith's disappearance that they had, he, uh, the Keith and Selena had taken some time off from each other? Were you aware of that? I was very aware of it because uh, he stopped by my place that evening, obviously for the uh, to buy the beer, but he also borrowed some clothes. Um, I didn't think I, I thought it was I didn't think too much of he and Sandra going together. Meaning, I just thought it was just he said they needed a little break. Selena mm-hmm. um, and Keith. I always had a feeling they were going to be together for a very long time. They might have been pissed at each other, you know. I'll I'll show you, but. I think they had intentions of getting back together. And I, I actually thought that he probably was going to propose to her. So, wow. You know, yeah. Okay. They were very close, never together for many years. 
Um, I think since freshman in high school, they were inseparable. And they perhaps maybe spent too much time together. So maybe it was just a little break, but I had a feeling that they would be back together in no time. Okay. And Joyce, your impression, were you aware that they were on a break? Once again, I realize both of you had your own uh, lives to live. Uh, but were you aware that they were on a break, or was that something you found out after Keith went missing? I, I found out afterwards. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. Talking. And Chris, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, we will certainly gonna we're certainly going to talk in depth about how uh, you saw Keith that night and what went on. We'll get to that in a moment. Thank you for bringing that up. Let's move on to this. Uh, Keith's car plays a huge role in this disappearance. Um, Joyce, what can you say? Uh, how long did he have the car? Uh, was he the one paying for it? What can you say about this uh, Toyota Celica, which the way I remember it in the 1980s was, a, you know, kind of a cool car. So what can you say about that? Um, he got that for a graduation present. And he um, he loved that car. He took real good care of it. And he had the uh, the personalized license plates. You know, I guess it was kind of a new thing back then. And mm -hmm. it had yeah. K-E-I-Fs uh, on it, Keith's. And so, yeah, he was, he was really happy with that car. And he got that because he, you know, the graduation present. So he loved the car. Because oh, so... So, Chris, when she says graduation present, so this would have been from high school graduation the year before? Yes, from high school graduation. All right. So he had had that car then approximately for almost a year? Yes. Okay. All right. And did you know, this came up when I was uh, talking to Selena, did you know that he had bumped in, he had hit another car? When he had gone to uh, he had gone some uh, to Elon University for something, and he had bumped into another car. Were you aware of that? Yeah, I was aware of that. That was a yeah, I do remember that. Yes. Yeah, that was not something that I'd heard before. And she mentioned that, and this came then came up in a conversation because of Selena being at Elon that night when Keith went missing, and the conversation they had before uh, she was going there. So, all right, so he has this car, has it for a year. Uh, was it new or used car? I think it was a used car. Mm -hmm. I think a couple of years old or something. Okay, very good. So he gets this car a year before. Very cool, like I said, for the 1980s. They don't make them anymore, I don't think. But very cool, especially for a teenager or twenty, you know, early 20-something. Certainly a cool car. Uh, and uh, I can see, see why I did not have, like, a cool car till the 1990s. So let's move on to this. Um, Cassandra Haley, and I will tell both of you that uh, during my interview with her sister, Terry, we just called her Sandra. Um, your understanding of how these two, Keith and Sandra, knew each other. Uh, let's uh, go with Chris first. What is your understanding? Um, they, were, they were in a math class together. That's what I was told. Okay. And yeah. so they were, they were going to Christopher Newport together and they had this uh, class together. Uh, Joyce, had you, before that night, had you ever heard uh, Sandra Haley's name before the disappearances? Had you ever heard her before? No, I had not. And not. And uh, Chris, before that night, had you ever heard of Sandra Haley? Never. No. Never. Okay. And we'll get to that night uh, in a moment. Uh, you meeting him, but when he went over to your place, were, were you aware that he was going out with some other girl, woman that yeah. night? He told me, yes. He told, okay. 
All right. So um, any idea this is something they had been in a class like just that semester or from like the beginning of this beginning of the school year? Do we even know at all? How long they don't, don't know that. Don't know that. Okay. Let's uh, I'm just going to move on to some now general questions. As the listeners and viewers know, we follow outlines for all the interviews that we do on Unfound because we want to make sure we don't miss anything and we go as in-depth as possible. So both Joyce and Chris know these questions are coming. These are just general questions about that area of Virginia at the time. I'm just going to read right from the outline. And Joyce, you can go first. How aware were you, were how aware were locals of what happened on the Colonial Parkway in 1986? And what I'm referring to is the two women who were stabbed to death, and their car was somebody tried to light their car on fire. The way you remember it, Joyce, how aware were you and locals of that crime? Very aware. Everybody around here knew about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll go to the next question and I'll, I'll direct it to you, Chris. How aware were locals of what happened a year later in 1987? How aware were locals of that one, those murders? You mean the ones on the Ragged Island Refuge? Yes. Very, yes, very, very aware. Very aware. Okay, so in, in both for both of these uh, two murders, or technically four murders, but two groups, um, it got a lot of uh, TV coverage, a lot of newspaper coverage. This is the way you both remember that. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Bombarding. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. And, and maybe uh, I have the question here. Next question. I'll go with Chris now again. Do you think that Keith knew about either of these double murders? Your opinion, Chris? Or maybe you even spoke to him one-on-one with about we them. Spoke, you... We spoke about it. Oh, yeah. We were all aware and we spoke about it. That's it especially the parkway because we're so close to the parkway and my mm -hmm. father drives that every day. Okay. So yeah. key. So firsthand knowledge, you knew that Keith knew about at least the colonial parkway murders, the two women who were killed. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Um, I'll go back to Joyce. And once again, I understand just have to explain it again. I realize you were not following Keith around. You have your own lives to leave, but did Keith have a curfew Joyce? I don't know that he actually had a curfew. I think uh, I think my parents would ask for him to check in, you know, so they wouldn't worry. I don't know because he was he had just turned twenty in March, so I don't think that my parents actually had a lot of trouble, you know, with Keith. And so I don't I don't really know the answer to that question. Okay, maybe I'll ask you this then, Joyce. You're your experience when you were still living under the same roof as your parents, did you have a curfew? Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and Nate, yeah, uh, yeah, if you didn't follow it, uh, we maybe don't want to get into that, but uh, at least on paper, you, uh, okay. And Chris, uh, your experience, did you have a curfew when you were living under the same roof as your parents? No, not really. No, no. All right. So that was just reserved for the daughter and the family. I'm sorry to hear that. Joyce. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chris, to your knowledge, either even before Keith went missing or since, have you ever heard of Keith having any problems with anybody, anybody he went to high school with, anybody in college, neighbors, anybody, you know, any problems with uh, anybody, problems with anybody where he was working, anything like that, any beefs, 
between Keith and anybody else that you've ever heard about? Never, nothing. Okay. And maybe since you uh, were the last one to saw him, I'll just continue to ask you the next question. Uh, Chris, did Keith, when you saw him that night, and we're going to get into the, the intricacies of that interaction here in a moment, but when you spoke to him that night, did he ever mention to you that Sandra had a curfew for that night? Do you remember? I don't think so. I don't think he mentioned that. No, no, I don't think okay. there's anything we would have talked about. Okay, very good. Let's move on to this, and this is where um, uh, Chris and I are going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation here. Joyce, you can just relax for a moment. So we're going to move up now to April 9th slash 10th, of course, the, 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 night, the day before or the day of slash the day before the disappearance. And Chris, you actually saw Keith that night. Maybe just explain how he ended up at your house and just explain the interaction and why he was there. What do you remember about it? Um, well, I think the state of Virginia had just recently changed the age to, to buy alcohol from 18 to 21. I think that recently happened within the last few months or something. Um, so he came over, wanted to know, well, first he came over, I think, to borrow a jacket and maybe some clothes. Um, and then asked me if I would buy him some beer. So I think it was Bush. So I think I ran up to Loose Smith Supermarket or whatever it was back in the day and picked it up for him. And um, mm -hmm. and then he left. So, mm -hmm. How long would you say that uh, entire interaction uh, was between you and Keith? Probably, well, it could have been maybe 30 minutes or so because, you know, I think we ran out together to Loose Smith, if I remember correctly, grocery store. Okay. Or 7-Eleven. Okay. And I, I realize these are very technical questions. And anytime I ask a question that you're just not sure of, you just say so. Were you, so did he call like a head? Did you know that he was going to be coming over or did he just kind of show up? I think he called ahead. Because mm -hmm. um, I was sort of right on the way. I'm I was living literally at the foot of the bridge. And no matter what, you had to go that direction. So mm -hmm. I literally lived right off Route 17. So Okay. To your knowledge, uh, of course, you were the two older siblings of Keith. So if either one of uh, you would have been old enough to buy the spear and, and the age change due to the age change in Virginia, uh, Chris, had he ever asked you to buy beer for him before, even maybe when he was 17 or 16 or something, ever done any of no. that? No. This was the Never first did. time. First time. First okay. Yeah. Maybe, Joyce, I'll get you to jump in here for a moment. The way you understand your brother, Keith, was he a big beer drinker? No, no. I'm sure he did at times, but I never really heard of him drinking a lot, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, Chris, getting back to you, were you then surprised when he asked you to do that? Or do, do you look at this now as just, well, he's just asked me to do this because the age changed? Or... Or was it something else? What what were you thinking at the time, being that this was the first time and, of course, only time that he ever asked you to do this? Well, um, obviously because of the age change, but also um, he was going to a party, a college party, and I guess we were raised you never go to a party empty-handed. So I guess when you throw those types of parties, everybody's supposed to bring something. So mm -hmm. um, I guess that's what that was all about. You don't want to show up empty-handed. Okay, but did, I, I just want to be clear, though. Did he specifically say that, or were you just inferring that? 
Just um, I, if I remember correctly, said I'm going to a party. Can you buy me some beer? Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, so in Virginia, so maybe the listeners and I have never lived in Virginia, but I guess what you're saying is the 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 legal age to buy beer in Virginia was 18 and they moved it to 21. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And when did they do that? At the beginning of 1988? It would have been right, probably right around there. It wasn't probably within six months or something, Joy. I don't right. remember. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. They I don't remember exactly. Yeah, usually uh, things like that, they usually just do it like the, the first of every year. So maybe this had been something that had been in, you know, been a law for like three months, I guess a little over three months since January 1st. I will look into that and I'll try to clarify that uh, for the listeners and everyone. So so I guess what we're saying is that uh, I guess Keith could legally buy beer and then they changed it to 21 and then all these people who could legally buy beer in that very, you know, between 18 and 21, then suddenly couldn't. Is that the way both of you understand it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. And with, uh, when you spoke, I'm going to just ask you this again. I know I brought this up before Chris, but when, when Keith was at your place, did Sandra's name come up? I think he might've said he was going out with this girl. Um, he might've said her name, Sandra. Uh, I know that he, he lived in Tab, went to Tab high school and they mm-hmm. were in a class at Christopher Newport. Okay. Given that you knew about Selena, was this something that surprised you that he was actually entertaining, not just entertaining the idea, but going through with it of being with another young woman? Um, it didn't really surprise me because they would have little quarrels once in a while because they were together all the time. Um, so it didn't really surprise me and I didn't think they were really breaking up. So uh, it's more like perhaps um, that maybe they needed a little space or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. The best as you could tell, Chris, and being that you knew, uh, I guess Keith had mentioned this party, your opinion, uh, the feeling, even, or maybe he said it explicitly, Whose uh, idea was it to go to this party near the Christopher Newport campus that night? Did Keith say it was his idea? Was it Sandra's idea? Did he give the impression that you know he was getting going to get he was going along with this just because? Any any ideas regarding that at all, Chris? I have that. I do not know. I do not know what his mm-hmm. idea was. Okay. So for I'll just give you this is just an example. He didn't say something like, "Yeah, I'm going out with this." girl Sandra, and then she suggested after we go to the movies that she wants to go to this party. Anything like that come up in your conversation with him? Um, something about, yeah, he, he was going with the girl Sandra, and I think they went to a movie and then a party, but that's all, I, all I'm aware of. All right. So we, so I'm, of course, I'm inclined to believe in, in, in speaking with uh, Sandra's sister, Terry, having already been interviewed, It does make all the sense in the world that it was Sandra's idea to go to this party, being that it was like near where she grew up and everything. But we're still not totally sure on that, but that's kind of the way I'm leaning. I was just wondering if, you know, being that you spoke to Keith, if he ever gave you an impression about whose idea it was. But but they both went to college there, so it could have been Keith's idea. It just doesn't seem that way, but okay. Let's, so he comes, he gets this beer. 
And how many, what, uh, was it a six pack, 12 pack, 24 pack? What was it? I think it was a 12 pack. Okay. And he leaves and the way you remember Chris, just like any interaction you ever had with Keith. Yep. He leaves not thinking anything would, you know, not me, obviously not thinking I'd never seen him again. Um, right. He just was, going out on a, I think it was a, it was a Saturday night if I'm not mistaken. It is. Yeah. That's right. It was. Yeah. yeah. Saturday night. Okay. Let's move on. Now, Joyce, I'll bring you back into the conversation here. Um, after Keith left Chris's, what is your understanding about uh, the night? And maybe I should just ask you this. Of course, we know about this uh, this movie that they went to. We're still not sure what movie they went to see. I, I am going to try to look that up and see what movies would have been in the theaters in April of 1988. But... Um, do you happen to know, Joyce, have you ever heard, did they go to dinner first? Did they go somewhere else before they went to the movies? Uh, what is your understanding? No, I do. I, I don't know. All I know is that they went to, they went to a movie and I don't know what either. And then they ended up at that party. At the party at the That's Christopher right. Newport, uh, campus yeah. near the campus practically. Across the street, um, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Joyce, do you have any idea given what you know about the area of what, because this is a question I asked Terry, and a lot of these questions I asked Terry as well. Um, what movie theater they could have gone to? Any idea? If you don't know, that's fine. Well, there was Cinema City on mm-hmm. in Tab on Route 17, mm-hmm. which was uh, close to where Sandra lived. Uh, okay. So that might okay. make a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's a very good choice. And then they go to this party on on the campus um let's move on to this once again continuing with joyce um what have you learned uh and i have spoken to these uh two people who saw keith and sandra at this party but i uh, i'm sure the listeners just want to hear it directly from you joyce what have you learned uh about that party uh keith's actions and behaviors maybe we might call it demeanor at that party what have you heard about what was going on at that party and how Keith was, uh, you know, what he was doing at that party? Yeah, so what I've been told by a couple of the people that were there is that he wasn't really enjoying himself at the party at all. And uh, he didn't really know anybody except for Sandra and maybe one or two other people there. And one of the person uh, people there um, lived, I think, was friends with Selena. And so Keith was hanging around her and talking to her for the majority of the evening. And mostly from what I understand, they were talking about uh, Selena and just general, just general things that night. But he was not evidently having a good time. So right, and and Joyce, I guess we can go even further. Is that it seems that Sandra? Of course, we, it's not just seems; it's a fact that Sandra gets to this party, and and you, once again from the witnesses that she automatically knew several people there. Right, right, and these witnesses. How did these witnesses say? Uh, how much interaction did they notice between Sandra and Keith during the course of that night? at the party how much 
from what I understand, there was virtually none. They kind of did their own thing, you know, when they got to the party. And so she went with the people she knew and Keith was with the one or two other people. I think it was one girl that he knew. Yeah. Right. And he talked with her most of the evening. Right. And I've spoken to her and we're not going to get into her name uh, for this uh, interview at all. Uh, all right. So that's the, what she told me as well. Um, let's move on to this. So they're there and kind of living separate lives. They're on separate dates. It almost seems like they're together. They get to this party. And then this would also goes back to whose idea was it to go to this party? It would seem given that Keith was not having a very good time, but Sandra was, that this was probably Sandra's idea. Unfortunately, we don't know that 100%. Um, let's move on to this. Let's move into now the uh, next I mean, no, maybe I'll, I should ask you this. For either of you, have you ever heard about anything other than beer being at this party? This is a question I also asked uh, Terry. Any news about um, illegal drugs? Of course, marijuana was illegal practically everywhere at the time. Of course, that's changed since then. But marijuana, anything maybe harder like ecstasy, kind of those fashionable things that were in uh, vogue at the time. Have either Chris... Or Joyce, you can answer this. Anything other than beer ever being imbibed by anybody at the party? I never heard anything about that, no. Okay. I haven't either. Okay. All right. So this is a, just a traditional 1980s beer party. Okay. So let's move on to this. Their exit from the party. And this is kind of where things get a little very vague. And it's not something even as I, I'm doing this interview with you two that I'm quite sure what to think about. But Chris, what is the best we can tell about when these two left, uh, Keith and Sandra, did they leave together? Uh, anybody else with them? What if, what's the best information we have right now, 34 years later, regarding them leaving? Um. I'm going to be honest, it's been so long, I'm, I don't remember, if anyone really remembers seeing them leaving, um, mm -hmm. I remember that people saw them there at certain times, but right. I don't I think that's the problem, no one really actually had eyes on them leaving. Right. I remember. That, uh, then Joyce, uh, what do you say about that? About the same answer? Yeah, about the same thing, you know, the, the one... Uh, person that he was there talking to the whole time, you know, says that she saw them leave at a, at a, a certain time mm -hmm. and, and that she had to leave as well. Yeah. But that's, I think that's the only person that actually said they saw him leave at a certain time that came out and said it that I know of. Right. And one of the problems we have here and that, in talking to Terry is that the belief was that Sandra's curfew was 2 a.m. And there's maybe one or two other people that say, yeah, they left before then. But then we have this other person who I think she's, I think she's telling the truth. That doesn't mean she can't be wrong, but she believes that they, that Keith and Sandra were there well after 2 a.m. 
you know, this is a, this is a huge conflict right now that I don't right. know if we're ever going to be able to resolve that. Okay. So it's very vague. Uh, nobody can really remember them leaving. Um, and I guess maybe nobody, you know, nobody is quite sure when anybody left then. All right. So let's move on to this. And I realize you were not living at home when this all happened, but the way you understand it in the early morning of April 10th of 1988, when Keith doesn't get home, let's just pick an arbitrary time of 3 a.m. Um, I don't believe your uh, father maybe was at home, but does anybody at home get a little nervous about all of this, that he's not home by 3 a.m.? Did anybody even notice? I don't uh, think Chris, Chris, please. I don't think it was a um they were really that worried about because they've never had trouble before and he always he had a good head on his shoulders with a lot of common sense. So I don't I wasn't living there, but I don't think any worry started um because until they got a phone call, if I'm not mistaken, from the park service. Okay. Um, not to say they weren't worried and maybe a little bit my mother, but um mm -hmm. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary yet. Okay. Maybe I'll just go from your own experience, Chris, and when you lived at home, uh, maybe you were supposed to be at home at a certain time and maybe were late for whatever reason, car broke down or something. Um, what would your, what would you, normally your parents do if you didn't get home by a certain time? And did that um, ever happen? Well, I'm, I'm sure it probably did. Um, she was probably sleeping. Um, I guess things were just so much different back then. You know, we really lived in the boonies in the country. Um, mm -hmm. And things like that didn't really, had not started happening yet in that area. And unfortunately, it happened to us. But um, it wasn't a big deal, you know. We communicated. I guess maybe we called on the phone. It just wasn't a big deal. Okay. Joyce, uh, I'll just ask you some uh, some pointed questions. So there's no information you've ever heard that when Keith, uh, like I said, I'm just picking an arbitrary time at 3 a.m., uh, that uh, anybody in your family called uh, maybe Cassandra's house, go out looking for him, anything like that. To your knowledge, none of that was done. No, not at that time. Not at that time. I got a call, but it wasn't at that time. Okay. When did you get a call? Being that you brought it up, when did you get a call? I got a call. It was between. It was about nine thirty that morning, Sunday morning, from my mom. Is when I got the call, and she was uh, to say she was upset was an understatement. Would be right. An understatement. And the car had already been discovered by that time, correct? Yes. All right, and we'll get back to that. Thank you. Okay. Let's talk about this and maybe we'll just continue with uh, you with Joy, uh, Joyce with this question. Um, and we're going to talk about Chris's own personal experience regarding the car as well here in a little bit. But we're going to maybe kind of go in, in, in backwards terms. But late morning on April 10th, 1988, uh, what we might call a coincidence, is that your father, both Joyce and Chris's father, Keith's father, he comes across the car. Correct, Joyce? Yeah, he does. He All does. right. And how, why did that happen? How did that happen? And what did he do? Um, was he on the way home from work that morning, Chris? Or he was going to work. He was going to work. Yeah. And so he uh, he was going along, and he and he saw the car, and he uh, pulled over, 
and he went and looked at the car. And um, this this is kind of what I remember um, mm-hmm. them saying is that he pulled over and went and looked at the car. The door was um, open. It was ajar. And um, he he was kind of he was kind of aggravated because he was like, this is not like my son, you know, uh, he doesn't just leave his car. And from what I was told, my dad was thinking, um, well, he probably left it there and he could and he went with some friends. He the last thing on his mind, I think, at that point when he saw the car then was that somebody had abducted and, and killed him, you know. Right. There was no clothes, there was no clothes in the back of the car at that time or anything to give my dad that awful, you know, I'm sure he was concerned, but he, it's it's a, a lot different when you see their clothes piled up in the back of the car. That wasn't there when he right. stopped. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that. Yes, we'll get yeah. into that. Bay. And so um he from what I understand, he closed the car and and went a, and went on his way, and he figured that he would be, you know, talking to Keith and seeing what was going on. You know, why is your car there? Because, like I said earlier, you know, that car was fairly new to Keith, and he yeah. was into cars, and you know, my dad was just like, "That's not like him," you know. So that was my understanding. All right, so he's going to work, and did he normally take the Colonial Parkway to go to work, Joyce? Every day, just about, yeah. Okay, and so, uh, and unfortunately, your father's not still, is deceased now, correct? Correct. Okay, and so, what did he say? He So he left the car there. What was he thinking? I mean, obviously, maybe shortly after that, he found out this was a, you know, big deal, of course, but in the moment, of course, he leaves the car there. I really realize he has to go to work. But what is your stand understanding of what your father was thinking at the in the moment? Did he think the car broke down? What you know? What I did think he- that what my dad was thinking is that he must have gotten in the car with some friends, with some other friends, and left that his car there. Maybe he, mm-hmm. you know, sometime in the night or wherever he was, that he had just went with some friends, but he didn't. He couldn't understand why, and it was still just like fresh right then. And yeah. he was, I'm sure he was trying to figure it out. In no way, shape, or form did he think that, oh my God, my son's been murdered, and this is a, you know, and I'm never going to see him again. Right. Which, you know, give it a take a fast forward an, another hour or two, and and then oh, it's the fan, so to speak, you know. Right. Right. And of course, mm-hmm. he knew that. You know, he was at home. Keith did not get home. And then he's going to work. And just coincidentally, he runs across the car. And what approximately what time was this, Joyce, the way you understand it? It was around the seven o'clock hour, wasn't it, Chris? Six thirty seven. Yes. Yeah. All right. So sun would have this is April. Sun would have been up by that time. Okay, so your father's going to work, comes across the car. And I guess eventually kind of just keeps going to work. Right. Right. And of course, this is well before cell phones. It's not like you can call, try to call Keith, call home, call anybody else, call 911. No cell phones. I figured that's what he was going to do when he got to work to see what was going on. (laughs) Right. Okay. Uh, Chris, anything you would like to add to what Joyce said about your father's encounter uh, with that car? Um, Anything? 
you know, it does sound probably strange to some people that my father would just kept going to work to see his father, his son's car with no one in it at 6.30 in the morning or something. But um, that's what happened. And he mm -hmm. just didn't see, he didn't see anything out of the ordinary because, you know, belongings were not in the car at that time. It looked, looked right. like a normal, you know, it was just there, parked there. Right. And we're going to get to the close here uh, in a moment. And it's, of course, a topic I spoke uh, we, uh, Terry and I spoke about it as well. All right. So he goes on to work, but then when was it then, uh, you've already talked about this nine thirty AM time, Joyce, when your mother calls you, but what happened between your father encountering the car and that nine thirty call that then things unfortunately started to gain momentum? Chris, how do you remember it? I, what I remember next is my mother calling me because I lived very close to the point mm -hmm. and about telling me that they had found his a park service called and they found his car there. He's not there, um, et cetera. She was very upset. She thought it was a big mistake or something at the time. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure within probably 10 or 15 minutes, I was probably on the parkway. I was there. That's how mm -hmm. I was very close to it. Probably a, no more than two miles. It could be a mile and a half. Okay. So, Chris, uh, continuing uh, with you, Chris, uh, then what is your impression of what happened, the best you can tell, between your father encountering the car and then this park range calls? Uh, so are we to believe that your father did actually end up getting to work and calling 911 or something? Or what actually transpired then for the park rangers to call uh, your mother? W what was it, um, do you think? I don't know if my father, when he got to work, if he called my mother or called 911. I do know that somehow the park service called, I think she called my mother. Somehow they had, they were able to find their, their phone number and mm -hmm. called my mom and, um, and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. All right. And Chris, and in fact, you said once your mother called you, you got in the car and you drove directly up to the location. Correct. All right. And so you saw... Um, you saw Keith's car there. Yes. All right. It was, still, it was still there. Yes. Okay. And I have to ask you, do you remember encountering, uh, Sandra's sister, Terry, who was, went up there as well very quickly. Do you remember um, encountering her? Oh, I do. Yeah. I do. During the day. Yes, I do. You know, let me go back. Joy, I don't remember. Had they already towed the car away, Joy? That was a very when I came, effect. they had it all blocked off in yellow crime tape. And I believe when I got there, which is probably about 10 15 minutes after you, uh, the car was gone. I think the car was towed away already. I know they took it to the um, the, the, the park service, um, like office, which is off of Route 17. They towed it to a garage there, if I do remember correctly. Um, okay. So that, that's another bone of contention. They screwed up the whole crime scene. Right. But anyway, well, that's yeah, already gone. I'm mistaken. Yes. Okay. So you go up there. You eventually did encounter Terry. So Joyce, you went up to the location as well. Oh yeah, I got a call from my mom too. Probably the same time Chris did, and mm -hmm. uh, I headed, I headed up there as soon as I got the call. I remember my <clears throat> my mom calling me, and she was uh, really upset, but. She told me at first, she said, these people called me park rangers. And I just didn't, I thought somebody was playing a terrible joke on me and I hung up on them. 
Oh, yes, I remember her saying that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they called me back again. And it was just like that was the beginning of the, of this. And so um, that's when I headed over to the parkway myself. Okay. And so you go up there. Both of you go up there. You end up there. And you said there was crime tape up. They had it all cordoned off. But you said that the car got towed, I guess, fairly quickly. Yes, yeah. it did. Yeah, it did. Okay. Yes. It before okay. I was there. I just want to say that we're... Even in our mind, we're still thinking we're aware of the, the previous murder about a year and a half or two years earlier, right. about a mile from there. And that's already in my mind. Yeah. I'm already we're connecting it. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, oh, they just screwed up a crime scene. And then even back then, we're like thinking like that. Um, so, so everybody was aware of it. I mean, remembering the murder because it had so much publicity on the drone yeah. report. So. All right, of course, like we talked about. So that uh, makes all the sense in the world. You show up there and you're thinking, oh my, I know what up happened here two years ago. Oh my goodness, right? But you, exactly, but, you all, yes. but you also know that, of course, Keith and Sandra were not found in the car. Of course, they're still missing, but you also knew that. Yes. Right. right? Okay. So, all right. So the car's found there. Um, not necessarily we believe this now, but at, at least at the time, probably everybody's thinking, well, they must be around here somewhere. So were there searches done in that area? What can you say about that day, the next day, uh, the river, dogs? What do you know about any searches that were done in that area immediately at that time for the next few days? What can you say? Joyce, we'll go to you. What what do um you know, what do you know about that? And did you personally take part in any of it or, or what? Um, I, yeah, there were a lot. There were some searches done. I know they brought dogs in. I know that they had some kind of aircraft that was doing some kind of infrared vision over the York River looking to mm -hmm. see. And they did find a body, but it wasn't related to our case. So they did. Um, yeah, I, I they had. I don't know if it was the uh, which branch of service was out there, but they had some people from the service out there with nets in the water as well. So they did have a search of the um, uh, pretty immediate area. You know, as soon as it happened, they started. Okay. But there was nothing there. All right. Would you, uh, uh, Chris, in your opinion, the way you understand about the searches that were immediately done, uh, fairly thorough, pretty thorough. What, what, I thought what do you think? Were, yeah, I thought it was. It was actually, and I remember saying it to myself, this is surreal because mm -hmm. there were helicopters flying over. There were search dogs. There was literally every branch of police, the state police, mm -hmm. local sheriff, park service, search and rescue teams. And I remember just like, wow, this is just unbelievable. This is surreal. This is hard yeah. to believe. Yeah, I do remember saying that, and I still do. It's like, wow. Yeah. I still didn't find them, you know, but um, anyway. Right. Um, in all of this, when did you find out that your father actually encountered Keith's car earlier that morning? How, how soon did you find that out, Keith or Chris? Not that I'm sure. It wasn't um, probably before lunch or something of that day. You know, I'm sure my father left where I know my father left work and, and of course came to the area. I don't know exactly the time frame. Nine o'clock comes to mind, eight o'clock. It wasn't at work very long. Mm -hmm. so. All right. So 
Uh, that's when you found out. So, of course, you were not aware. He couldn't call anybody, but he keeps going to work. And then you two get called by your mother. You show up there. And at that point, you don't even know that your father's already encountered this car a couple hours beforehand, before that. Not at that moment, but within oh. probably you know, 30 minutes, an hour or so, yeah. I guess. Yeah, so weird. Okay. Uh, Joyce, uh, these dogs that were involved, the listeners know that I'm not the biggest fan of dogs. I think it's a, not really a science at all. But in any case, Joyce, what did the dogs do uh, once they were brought to the scene? What direction did they go? Do you, do you know what they did? Um, I, I think that mostly they went through the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went down. I, I, they went down the bank on, uh, there was a drop off from where the car was found at the York River Overlook and down to the river. And I know they went up and down those uh, the cliffs, and I, they did get a scent on something. But then again, I mean, it they didn't find anything, and it could have been that body that they did find in the water. But yeah, I guess what you're saying, Joyce, is that what's like I said, I've been doing this for over six years. We talk about dogs, and I, I'm fairly dubious of the whole thing. But the dogs had a like what they would call a death scent in the water and then not due to the dogs though there was a body found in the river not long after that there was yes. yeah so it's possible that the scent if they did pick up a death scent it was of this person i think it was a guy and not keith or sandra exactly okay and i think in my uh, talk with terry i uh, got into we got into how these the dogs went like in a north direction from the car for like a mile and then seemingly the trail split off and like i said i'm not sure if we're supposed to believe any of this but that is something uh that that was out there um in your both of your when you showed up there though this is where we're gonna get we'll get into this in a moment but when you get up when you you two both got there at whatever time it was that morning 9 30 10 a.m was it then your understanding that their clothes were in the car? Did anybody bring that up? Chris? I, um, I, I don't remember exactly when I knew that, but it was it was pretty early on. Mm-hmm. It was pretty early on. And what, what do you remember about that, Chris? Of course, your father did not see any clothes in the car. But when you two got to the scene, did any of the investigators, anybody there, the park rangers, say, yeah, we found the car and we found clothes in the car. Do you remember any of that, Chris? Um, no, I don't, that I don't remember. So, but I do remember that my father not seeing clothes in the car or keys being in the ignition as they stated later. But I don't remember that day or maybe that morning. Um, the park service, I mean, nobody was giving us a lot of information anyway. Right. And um, the park service. Okay. All right, so these searches are going on. They're going out in the river. They got a helicopter or some sort of light propeller plane uh, flying overhead. Uh, I, I think everybody on the scene is thinking, man, didn't we just do this two years ago for the women? And I'm sure that was in a lot of investigators' minds. Of course, the difference is those women were actually in their car, and somebody actually tried to hide that car and burn it, whereas with Keith's car, it's just sitting there right next to the road course he and cassandra are not in it and really there's no signs of violence but i'll ask both of you this and and chris you can go first 
in your opinion, and I realize you are not a seasoned investigator, but is it your opinion that at least the scene looked like the two had gone to that spot and gone for a skinny dip in the James River? Do you think that that just in general, that's what it looked like? I think that's what they were trying to, someone was trying to make it look like. It was the York River, not the James River. James and, York uh, River, thank you. Yeah, so I think there was, someone was trying to perhaps make it look like that. Don't think they would be. It was still, the water temperature was probably in the low 40s then. Mm -hmm. Right, and you're, you're impressing Joyce being that you were there as well. You see the, you know, the cars there, you know, the clothes for the most part are there. Uh, is that your impression that somebody, uh, made it look like they went to take a skinny dip in the water. Oh, like Chris said, they might have been trying to make it look like that, but never, I mean, I never would have, it didn't work on me. I mean, I would never would have thought he would have went, I didn't know Sandra, but I know mm -hmm. Keith, and he wouldn't have went down there skinny dipping for one minute. Mm -hmm. No, he wouldn't have. I right. mean, not even, not even the fact of it being cold, he was kind of shy. To begin with, he's not going to go down there and go skinny dipping with somebody that he doesn't even know, let alone it's April and it's freezing. It was just so far-fetched. And maybe Never I'll follow up with this for you, uh, Joyce. Maybe I'll follow up with this question. And in fact, your opinion is, uh, and we've talked about this, where the car was, it was not easy to get down to the river anyway. No, it wasn't. It, I think it was like 20 or 30 feet down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and why would they even go to that particular uh, pull-off overlook, they call it, for that one, when there was others that you could just walk out? That's right. Chris, is that your impression as well? Even if somebody were looking to go uh, swimming in the York River, let's just say in the, in the hottest day in Virginia in July, that's not probably the place you would go to. Well, I guess if you really wanted privacy, perhaps, but mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think that there, there are easier places about a mile up the, there was like a beach. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Very good. Thank you. And once again, this is April in Virginia. It's not Alaska, but it's not warm either. It's certainly not Florida in April. So the water would be cold and uh, I haven't, I probably have looked up and seen what the temperature was that night. I forget right at this moment. It was probably in the 40s. Probably got down into the 40s, April in Virginia, correct? That's about right. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Now a bunch of uh, more uh, kind of uh, questions uh, that I also asked Terry, of course, just changing the name. But uh, Chris, we'll start with you. To your knowledge, had Keith ever been to that spot before? Where the car was found? Yes. I, I think we've all been to that spot before. We grew up in that area. So okay. yes, been to that spot before. Okay. Um, Joyce, had Keith, you ever any conversation you ever had with him? Had he ever talked about the Colonial Parkway, going to the Colonial Parkway for any reason, just hanging out, anything? I don't know. I, I don't remember actually being talked about. But when, like Chris said, when he put it in perspective for us, it's a road uh, that we used uh, all the time. Uh, although it's a historic road for visitors to come in, yeah. us locals that live here, it's just a, a through fair for us. Road. So it's used all the time. Yeah. 
So he's very familiar with the Parkway. Did he hang out there on a regular basis? No, I don't think so. But was he on it? I mean, he was 20, by that time he was 20 years old and we've lived here all our lives. And so he's definitely familiar with it. He didn't, I don't know that he would hang around on it. Just like, you know, my dad traveled it every day just to go to work. Right. Uh, maybe I'll go back to Chris on this. Can you think of uh, how often would you say Keith was on that road? Did he ever have to go on the Colonial Parkway for work or did any friends live up that way? Anything oh, like that? Okay. I'm going to Bush Gardens. So we would, that's how we would go to Bush Gardens. So, um, mm-hmm. so we went to Bush Gardens all the time. We all had seasons passes because my father worked for Anheuser Bush. So we, it was a, it was part of our, sometimes it could be part of our daily commute. Okay. Okay. And we have to understand this is just a pull off right there along the road and the car was fit, sitting uh, just within 20, 30, 40 feet of the, of the road, right? Right. Yes. This wasn't actually a, a pull off area that you parked in, which they did have a lot of those. This was just like a pull off and pull back on the road, read the, the historical sign or look over right. it. And it didn't have parking spaces. Yep. All right. Also the go- parkway. I was just going to say, uh, the parkway is part of the it's part of the national park, so there's not going to be any um, pay phones or anything like that on the parkway. Nobody lives there. There's mm-hmm. sometimes not even lighting. It's very very quiet place. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, had your family as a group ever gone up the Colonial Parkway when you were all younger to go like to the different spots, like the historic spots? Yes, we used to uh, go to the picnic area from time to time when we were young. Um, it was called Ringfield, which is closed now, and uh, fish and have picnic every once in a while. You remember that, Chris? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It was a nice picnic area. It closed not long after what happened with Keith and Cassandra. Okay, yeah. I mean within months, probably. Wow. Okay, and did. Uh, and I've spoken uh, to Selena, but to the both of you, did she ever say anything about the two of them ever going up to uh, the Colonial Parkway for any area, uh, any reason? Joyce? Yeah, I don't, I do not know. Okay. I don't know. All right. And Chris, your understanding, how far was this car from where the two murdered women were found, to your knowledge? Half a mile, maybe? Pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close. Okay. And uh, listeners should know I am going to be doing a uh, a video, a companion complimentary video that will be on the Unfound YouTube channel, uh, along with, of course, this entire episode uh, and diagramming these locations and showing where Christopher Newport is, where Sandra lived at the time, where Keith lived at the time, and all of this all in one video. It's probably going to be a little bit long video. I haven't done it yet but this will probably sort a lot of these things out. And I understand there are a lot of videos and, and maps already out there about all of this, including the murders, but I'm just going to stick to Keith and Sandra's disappearances. And those are the first halves of interviews I did between December 6th and December 9th, 2022 with the siblings of Keith Call and Sandra Haley. You will get to hear the second halves in part two. And I will tell you what you can expect in addition to the interviews in part two at the end of this episode. Before I get into this long part one summation, I hope you will all go to Unfound's YouTube channel 
where I go over the locations detailed in this part one. There will also be a companion video for part two. So, how did this all get started? And why these disappearances to work on behind the scenes for so long? At this point in this episode, I just have some notes in front of me on the screen. I'm not going to be reading from a script because, frankly, to type it all out would have taken hours and hours and hours. So I'm going to do this very much like how I do an update episode. This all got started back in July of this year of 2022. I was up in Illinois for the disc golf tournament, Masters Worlds. You might remember that in Peoria, Illinois. I was up there. I stayed at my buddy Dave's place, um, one of my best friends from college. And you should know, um, finding people, finding guests is a constant job here. Yes, sometimes we have people that reach out to us or people that email me, message me. But I would say 80, 85% of the guests that you hear on Unfound are people that we reach out to. Facebook pages, websites, news articles, things like that. Well, I will tell you for me, and this is giving you a little behind the scenes of how this podcast all comes together. When maybe I'm stuck, maybe I just really can't choose what to do, who I'm going to reach out to next, or I'm just can't really figure things out. There is a list that I have that I got from the Charlie project of all of the disappearances that have Facebook pages. And so I go to that and I have it, I copied it over into a document. And what I do is I'll just start anywhere just randomly on that list. And it's alphabetical by last name. And, and you should know many of the disappearances, most of the disappearances on the Charlie Project do not have Facebook pages. So this is not as long a list as you might think. And I will just randomly look at names on the list, no real rhyme or reason, and then go to that Facebook page and read about the disappearance, see if somebody, uh, if it's active, have there been recent posts, things like that. Not very scientific. In fact, not scientific at all. Just looking around. And as I was going through the list, I came across Richard Keith Call and Cassandra Lee Haley. Two names that I am pretty sure I probably – I just don't remember them. I'm probably saying uh, that over the years I came across their names once or twice, but no recollection of it at all. And one of the things you learn in looking at a list like Megan has put together at the Charlie Project of all these Facebook pages, dis, uh, disappearances that have Facebook pages, is that usually when you see two names together like that, it's usually children. That it's uh, a mother who has abducted the children or, or something like that. But of course what caught my eye was that, of course, Keith had the last name Call. Cassandra had the last name Haley, so I'm thinking, well, probably they're not – they might be um, underage. They might be 10 years old, but I don't know if they're brother and sister. What's going on here? So I just decided to take a look and see what their disappearances were about because obviously they went missing at 
at the same time. It was only then that I went to the Facebook page connected to their names that I discovered, oh, they're part of the Colonial Parkway murders. I, of course, know about the Colonial Parkway murders. I've heard about them. Of course, we don't do murders on unfound. But I had – I have to admit at that time in July of 2022, I had no idea. I'm just being totally honest. This is just me, Ed, being honest. That I had no idea that two disappearances were considered to be part of the Colonial Mark uh, Colonial Parkway murder phenomenon, as a, what I called it earlier in this episode. Had no idea. I thought that they were just all murders. I knew that they were unsolved. I knew that uh, there there were couples that were murdered together, or something like that. Had no idea the two disappearances, two people disappearing together were considered to be part of this. I was stunned. And I will even admit that just knowing about the Colonial Parkway murders, I have to admit I didn't even know where the Colonial Parkway was. I thought it was like up in the Smoky Mountains or something. I Maybe I need to take a geography class. So I thought, well, this is interesting. And so I started uh, – of course, I have a newspapers.com account, started looking at that. And it was sometime in August where I decided I don't – I really want to cover these disappearances. It seems like their families are out there, although I had not spoken to anybody in either of their families that It seemed like they did interviews, although I had not listened to these shows yet. I knew that there had been series that have done been done regarding the Colonial Parkway murders, all of it put together. I knew that um, – uh, there were podcasts, there were YouTube shows, and so I, I kind of understood that if I'm going to do this, I'm probably going to be very successful at having some of the family members of Cassandra and Keith involved. So it was very positive, had a very positive attitude. But I also knew in reading about all of this that, as I stated earlier in this episode, that their disappearances had never been looked at on their own. My opinion is the reason that they aren't looked at on their own, whether you think that they're, all, all this is connected or not, is because as a person who just does disappearances, I can tell you I think most people just want to stay away from disappearances. That's, that's my personal opinion. I think that's one of the reasons that police departments play hot potato with them, as I've talked about many times. So looking at it, seeing that they're being mixed in with these murders, I thought, you know, this is something um, that is worthy to take a look at in a vacuum. Looking at their disappearances, not totally forgetting that these murders happened, but obviously nobody has done this before, mainly because – there aren't too many people uh, in the last 30-some years that specialize in disappearances, probably. It looked like a good opportunity to move these disappearances for the investigation of them forward, understand them better, and maybe in doing that, maybe we can even get as far as possibly understanding these murders better. And at that point... I didn't know what to think. Maybe they're all connected. Maybe they're all related, and I'm really not even going to get into that until part two. 
I also thought that there's a point that I want to get to being that this is my choice of careers, this is my work. I think it's about time over six years into doing Unfound that I put my theories, my education, my work up against the FBI, up against the Park Service, up against those local Virginia law enforcement agencies, up against other show hosts, up against true crime authors. For example, the guy that wrote the uh, Colonial Parkway book that came out about five years ago, and everybody else who has looked at all of these tragedies, these murders, this disappearance. It's about time that I get to see, can I make more sense of it than all of them? Can I explain it in a better way? Can I do better analysis than anybody else regarding all of this? It's about that time. So... And really, as soon as I started to really think about it in this uh, this way, I realized I was going to be coming to these two disappearances from a different angle than everyone else. Once again, going back to, I just don't think that people who really get into true crime and write books and do these shows and everything, they really understand disappearances in particular because I'll keep saying it, disappearances and murders are different. Very well could be that disappearances are murders. And in fact, I think I was talking about this recently that I estimate that 62% of the disappearances we've covered on Unfound are murders. And you should know a listener did the same exact study and came to the exact same percentage. So there must be something to it. But disappearances and murders are different. And I think this is a mistake that has been made since the day Keith's car was found on the Colonial Parkway. And we'll get to that later. So then the work started. And so I started going to the even more to the newspaper dot, newspapers.com articles. There have been tons and tons and tons of articles written about Keith and Sandra's disappearances. I read the Colonial Parkway book, uh, although only Two chapters of it are devoted to the disappearances. I ended up, of course, con- I ended up contacting Chris Joyce and Terry, who couldn't. Uh, they did fantastic interviews. I think you've already heard that. Really came forward, really ready to talk, and I cannot thank them enough. I even went to Web Sleuths and went through threads and threads and threads and threads, reading what people have been saying, going back years about these disappearances and even the murders too. Uh, listening to other shows on the Colonial Parkway murders, for example, the brother of one of the women who was killed in 1986 has a show on YouTube. I listened to several shows that he's done about all of this, although I have yet to speak to him on the phone. I'm still like to do that. I spoke to the two witnesses who were at the party that night. They have similar stories, but the huge difference is their memories of when Keith and Sandra left. Much more information, I think overall, um, what I can say about Keith and Sandra's disappearance, especially since all these years they've been mixed in with the murders, is that there's much more information than you would ever find on any disappearance Unfound has covered, even more than Brian Schaefer. 
In fact, I would only say the only other disappearance I think that we've covered that comes close to the amount of information and shows and, and, and everything, podcasts and everything else, is Flight 370. Surely. Uh, I, I, that, that's the way I look at it. That the only uh, disappearance that has gotten more attention over, the t- over this time is Flight 370. It's the only one that surpasses, I think, Keith and Sandra's disappearances within the context of the Colonial Parkway murders as a whole. So now that I'm done with that, so that's how this all came to be. It started out as I didn't realize that there were two disappearances within the Colonial Parkway phenomenon. Looked at them and said, you know, I think this is something that I want to devote a lot of time to. Because I think that these disappearances have been looked at in the wrong way. And I think it's uh, on top of everything else that if I want to be a person who teaches people about disappearances and thinking about them more clearly, then I have to go up against as I, all those organizations and groups and departments that I stated before. Because that's where I want to get to be. So that is how this all came to be, and I've been working on it since, like I said, August. Still, of course, doing the episodes and giving those weekly episodes as much attention as I ever have. But in that downtime between August and September and now, instead of me maybe playing disc golf or whatever else, that extra time has been devoted to these two disappearances exclusively. So then, regarding what you've heard from the guests so far, and I'm only going, in this summation, I'm only going to talk about the topics covered so far. I may foreshadow what you're going to hear in part two, but really the rest of this summation, my insights from now to the end uh, of this recording for part one is just about what has already been established in those interviews with Terry, Joyce, and Chris. And then I will do the same in part two in my summation, and that's going to be uh, a little bit different, of course, because in the second part, we're going to get into the investigations and all some of the quirks and a lot of the things that went on uh, that have made trying to investigate these disappearances very difficult. And uh, before I get into this, uh, these major points that you should take away from part one, I'm going to be mentioning some unfound disappearances. So you may want to refresh your memories before uh, you listen to the rest of it, could be, so, because that could be helpful. So major point number one, although anybody can go missing at any time, Keith and Sandra were in a demographic – where people are very unlikely to go missing. It's very, very important to understand. And, and you know, if you've been listening to Unfound for a long time, or maybe just a recent listener, and you're catching up going back to the episodes way back in 2016, you know that we don't cover too many disappearances. That's just the way it is. But we don't cover too many people who have uh, disappearances who have no mental health issues, no abusive relationships, 
no addictions, no money problems, no stocking incidents. It's very, very rare. Certainly they exist, and I'm going to read off uh, a list here in a moment, but think about how often those topics come up in unfound episodes. I would say 90 95% of the time, usually. So some, though, <clears throat> where that did not come up, some of those that where that didn't come up, Jason Jolkowski, Kristen Mataferi, Alicia Markovich, and what's important, and there, there are several more, but those are just examples, yet what is most important about those? Foul play is the consensus theory on all three of those, and if I were to look at the entire list and really, really nail it down, I'm sure it would be the same for any others that would go on this list. So when you have people who don't have any mental problems, no abusive relationships, no addictions, no money problems, no behavior issues, all of that usually means that foul play occurred. Now, that may not be shocking given that I think everybody pretty much thinks that foul play occurred here, but we have to think about that. That is very, very important that how rare somebody like a Keith or a Sandra going missing is. If you can avoid all those, the odds of you going missing are very, 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 very low. So we might then start thinking about it must have been a very unique situation for them to go missing. But foul play is usually the consensus theory when people who are living pretty straight-laced lives uh, go missing. So another major point, the second major point that we should think about given what we've already heard in the interviews for this part one. What are the odds that Sandra showed up at a party where her ex-boyfriend Terry was by accident? Fairly improbable. You might think of that line from Casablanca, of all the gin joints in all the world, she had to walk into mine. If you've ever seen Casablanca. That's kind of what I think about here. But what I'm saying here, it's reasonable to think that this was Sandra's plan all along. That she knew her ex-boyfriend Terry was going to be there and she wanted to go see him. And we're not sure if she told Keith about it or not. Obviously, Keith knew that they were going to be going to the party, hence the beer. Whether he knew her ex-boyfriend was going to be there or not, who knows. But I just don't think that Sandra ended up at that party by accident. Now, what does this mean? It means that people, who knows how many, could have known Sandra and Keith would be there that night. So their abduction could have been planned beforehand. Something to think about. In addition, given that Keith got beer, this also shows that he knew for sure the two would be going to the party, as I already stated. Then who did the two of them tell? I would have to think, could have been a large group, could have been a small group, but I'm inclined to believe that there were multiple people who knew that at least Sandra was going to be going to that party and, and Keith would be with her. Yes, to plan something out like this, an abduction, a disappearance like this would be complex for anyone. 
However, for a stranger who, let's say, pulled the two over, and I'm going to be getting into this in part two because this is a popular theory that uh, the two were driving home and got pulled over by a, a police officer or a fake police officer. But to, to say this again, yes, to plan something out like this would be complex for anyone. However, for a stranger who, let's say, pulled the two over while pretending to be a, pretending to be a cop who didn't know they would be at the party, this would be way more difficult due to the unpredictability, especially at night, especially since there are two victims and not one. But what is most important to understand is that their abductions could have been planned before they ever got to the party. Why? Well, I'm going to give you some examples once again, from Unfound's own history, Jody Hoosentrout, first and foremost, somebody who knew she was leaving that morning, waited at least an hour. Remember, she was late leaving that morning, and that person still waited for her. Nobody, nobody believes she got abducted on the spur of the moment. Somebody planned it out. Somebody knew she left those mornings at a certain time, that person was out there waiting for her to abduct her. Might have been stalking her for a month and she didn't know it. Who knows? We just don't know. We don't, of course, know who caused Jody's disappearance. But somebody surely planned it. Meaning these things can be planned if somebody knows the victim's schedule, which certainly people would have known for Sandra and Keith. Because like I said, I'm inclined to believe that um, Sandra planned to be at that party because she knew she could see her ex-boyfriend, Terry, and many other people. And given that this was Sandra's area of Newport area of Newport News, I'm guessing she knew multiple people at that party. And she might have told them, oh, yeah, we're going to be stopping over and going out with this guy and we're going to stop over. That would not surprise me at all, and I don't think it should surprise anybody. Another example from Unfound's... Uh, catalog of disappearances. Susie Lyle. Somebody knew she was getting off the bus that night alone. We can think, of course, some people think it was Israel Keys. I don't particularly believe that. Uh, a lot of people believe that it was her boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend. We're still not clear on what the situation was. Some people might even think it was the father of this boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend, but nobody believes somebody was just randomly sitting there, right? Somebody knew she was getting off that, that bus alone that night. So once again, this can be planned. Another example where it's, even, it's very, very clear, Pearl Pinson, who was walking to school, her killer had surely seen her walk that way to school before, and that's how he knew to be there at that particular moment, abducted her, surely killed her. Very sad. And then if you'll remember that episode, he was finally tracked down, and he went out. Uh, he was shot by police while trying to get away. Surely planned. Surely had known knew Pearl's schedule and planned to abduct her. No doubt about it. Another one, Tyler North, his ex-wife and her boyfriend, I think will be going on trial here come 2023. He was lured, so they planned it all out. 
planned to get him to go to that park. She lured him with sex. They had been they were divorced, but they were having sex. Nobody knew about this until after. She lured him there and they killed him. These things can be planned when killers have prior knowledge. It's a very, very important point I want you to take away from this part one. And it's much easier to do this when you know the person, you know the schedule of that person in contrast to somebody who's just going to do this on the spur of, mo- spur of the moment, like I said before, somebody like playing fake cop and pulling Keith and Sandra over while they're going home that night. It's much more likely people who knew these people, knew their schedule, studied them than just some random stranger who didn't even know them until that very second when they encountered each other. I have a lot more to say about this uh, in my summation for part two. The third major point that I really want you to think about as you um, you know, take your time and listen to this and get ready for next week's part two. We have covered a lot of and I just why I went through the entire 275 disappearance list. We have covered a lot of disappearances with cars being left by water or people being seen or disappearing near water. I'm going to read them out here. Like I said, if you're not familiar with these disappearances, I'd go back and listen to them. First, cars found by water, but no proof the owners were there. Jake Latchelet left this car, his truck was found on a bridge over the Mississippi. Tiffany Daniels up there in the panhandle right next to the Gulf of Mexico. Jerem Olihan, North Carolina, Atlantic Ocean. Bradley Brooks, uh, Corpus Christi right there on the edge of uh, the Gulf of Mexico. Holly White, car found next to a bridge, a popular suicide spot over the Rio Grande in New Mexico. Angela Freeman. Of course, her um, car found next to a river as well. No proof that those people who owned those cars left them there. Their cars were found near these bodies of water. Now, people who were last seen near water. Shane fell with his car. And in fact, it's at least a little bit, you could say, like... Uh, the disappearances we're talking about here. But Shane Fell surely wrecked his car, called his brother. Brother shows up. Shane not there, never to be seen again in Louisiana. Ben Archer in Delaware, last seen within feet of the Delaware River. Kevin Newen, close to a river. He would have had to have walked over a bridge that went over this river on his way home that night. The Pickering Six, Jace Martin, next to the Mississippi River. That's a very recent disappearance. Disappearance. Bill Underhill, Minnesota, also near uh, the Mississippi River. Last seen near it. Renee Lamana, Ocean City, New Jersey, ran away from her sister's uh, beachfront home. That was the last place she was seen near uh, a body of water. We have it. What I'm saying here is what I'm showing to all of you, whether you realize it or not, is I and all of you who have listened to all these episodes, we have a ton of experience in this area. 
with people and or cars involved in disappearances and they are next to bodies of water. A lot of information that we can use on all of them to apply it to Keith and Sandra's, whether you believe that they went up there in the car and something happened or somebody else put the car and they were abducted from somewhere else. We have a lot of information we can tap into, a lot of education. But there is one huge difference between all of those people, all of them, and I will name them all again if you want to go back through. Jake Lachelet, Tiffany Daniels, J.R. Mollahan, Bradley Brooks, Holly White, Angela Freeman, Shane Fell, Ben Archer, Kevin Newen, The Pickering Six, Jace Martin, Bill Underhill, Renee LaMana. Keith and Sandra have one huge difference than all of those people. And I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm hoping you can figure it out for yourself between now and part two. Because I think this plays a huge role in deciphering what happened here. It plays a huge role. We're going to have to bring in a lot of different thinking into this, but Keith and Sandra are different than the rest of those people. What is that difference? And the final topic, so those are the three major points. First of all, they are in a in a demographic that usually does not go missing. Number two, it's clear that people knew that at least Sandra was going to be showing up for this party, meaning their disappearances could certainly have been planned. And number three, we have a lot of experience with cars and or people being left or being last seen near bodies of water, whether they be a gulf, an ocean, or a river, or anything else. So the final topic before I wrap up this part one, and this was the final question. Remember how I always do those three questions for all the episodes now. The first, the last question, number three was, why do some killers leave dead bodies behind while others hide dead bodies? Why is that? This is something new. This is something that I added to the school presentation I did at Nova Southeastern University back in September. This is an idea that I've been working on. In fact, the idea came from the beginning of working on these disappearances. It started in August, kind of came to me in September, and I thought, well, I'm going to try it out when I do the presentation at Nova Southeastern. So once again, the question is this, and I don't know if anybody has thought about this before, but why do some killers leave the the dead bodies behind while others hide their dead bodies? Why is that? There are, of course, pluses and minuses to each. Because this is important. Why? Because in all the other colonial colonial parkway murders, the victims were left behind. Keith and Sandra are the only two who are missing. Something to think about. Of course, some reasons uh, the killers hide victims. You have to think about it because it's a lot of work. Hiding people is a lot of work. I don't care if it's digging a hole. 
I don't care if it means carrying them out into the middle of the woods, just hoping nobody will find them, or cutting them all up, or burning them. It is all big-time work. Still, we know that many people choose to do this. Why? You might think about recently, this is an extreme example, but the Idaho massacre that is big news. Uh, It's been like a month since these four students were killed. We could easily look at that and say, well, why didn't the killer take them away? Well, there's four of them. That would make it a little difficult. But maybe, on the other hand, we can look at the murder of Missy Beavers, which has come up here on Seven Years Unsolved. She was by herself. Why didn't that killer take her? She was all alone. Could have done that. Why didn't this killer do that? So, I've come up with three reasons why killers do this. Why do they cause their victims, why do they make their victims disappear after killing them? Why do they make sure that nobody can find them? Because we have to remember something, of course, the big overarching idea regarding this is people don't like to get caught. People don't like to get caught speeding. They don't like to get caught cheating on their taxes. And killers don't like to get caught to the point that even we know in some of these uh, school shootings and other things, these people would rather commit suicide than be caught. So these are the three reasons that I've come up with why killers and these disappearances that we kind of think of as being murders – why they make their victims disappear. Number one, leaving the victims where they are will reveal who the killer is. For example, husbands can't leave their dead wives in the house. It would then be too obvious who the killer was. The guy's not really going to say, well, yeah, some guy came in and killed my wife and I didn't see anything. Um, And some of these, or we could say Zoe Campos, Carlos Rodriguez killed Zoe Campos in his house. There's a reason he didn't leave her body behind because it would have eventually been found there and he would have been caught right away instead of waiting five years. Same way with Andrea Bowman. Same way with Austin Pivo. He got into a fight with those guys after getting dropped off. The reason they didn't leave him in the house is because leaving him there would have quickly shown that they were the ones who killed him. Instead, they took him out into the woods and and buried him. And, And luckily... He was eventually found. And a very good example of this very recently is the unfound now I did for Elizabeth Capaldi, where I did the unfound now, and then just a few weeks later, uh, her husband is charged with a murder, and he led investigators to her body. There is a reason he didn't leave her in the house, because he would have been caught right at that time. So once again, the number one, uh, first reason killers make the bodies disappear is because leaving the bodies wherever they are will quickly point to who the killer is, even without any forensics or anything. Number two, speaking of forensics, the number two reason is because of forensics, that the killer believes that there is DNA or something on the body that he or she cannot get rid of, can't make uh, it go away. And if the body is left behind with the science that we have today, we'll eventually sh- show who the killer is. 
so that's no, reason number two. And we can think of um, – and we have to remember that for Keith and Sandra's disappearances, it was 1988. So this is before DNA started, just to make that point. Uh, they do it for forensic reasons. Leaving bodies behind will scientifically prove who the killer is. So they have to get rid of the body so no science, no studying, uh, no science can be used. Some of the examples from Unfound's uh, catalog of disappearances, Tyler North, who I already talked about, Unique Harris, and Ashley Simpson. That's a, a case from Canada that is now solved. Tyler North's, by the way, all those three of those, by the way, are all solved. Even though the killers attempted to get rid of them, even though I don't think Unique Harris has been found yet. But Tyler North, his remains were found. Ashley Simpson's remains were found. But surely all of them were murdered and the killers got rid of them because of – for reasons of forensics. You might even be able to put Ashley Simpson's in category number one too. And number three – the reason that killers get rid of bodies instead of just leaving them wherever they died is possession. Keeping bodies somewhere allows killers to relive ex- this, the, the killing experience over and over. No, we don't really have any unfound disappearances that are, that are like this necessarily. Maybe uh, Carlos Rodriguez was going back out into his backyard and reliving killing Zoe. Maybe uh, – I don't have any information regarding that. But this is a well-known thing with serial killers who have put bodies in certain places and then occasionally go back to to view that body. It could be out in the middle of the woods. It could be in a storage locker. It could be anywhere. But these killers put these bodies in in places that nobody else knows, and then they can go and relive the killing over and over and over and over. So those, I think, are the three main reasons that killers don't leave their bodies, their victims' bodies behind, their victims' remains behind. What's important to remember about all of this, what I'm also saying is that staging of a scene like might have happened with Keith and Sandra comes second. What comes first is the decision to make the victims disappear. The staging doesn't happen if the disappearance idea doesn't happen. For example, if Keith and Sandra were murdered, why not leave them and the car wherever it happened? You have to think about that. I would also say that when we have disappearances where a suspect says, well, the person is still alive – This is not the reason the person's body was hidden. This is a byproduct of one of the above three reasons. The reason to get rid of the victim comes first. Then the stories start. Very important to understand. Please think about all of that from now till next week as you start to think about Keith and Sandra's disappearances and try to make sense of it. All of that is very, very important in analyzing their disappearances and trying to come to an answer as to what really happened to them, whether they got abducted or maybe they really did go up there and went into the river. But all of that is important to think about. 
As for next week, part two, I'll start that episode by going over the generalities of the three other sets of murders from 1986, 1987, and 1989, along with a couple other murders that some people have included in this string of violence. But I can assure you, it's not going to be this comprehensive coverage, very in-depth looking at every single detail of those murders. But I just want to give you a decent idea of them. Then the second halves of the interviews will play, the ones with Terry, Joyce, and Chris. From there, I will then quickly go over the most popular theories concerning the murders and the disappearances, and why some people think they are connected and other people, other people think they are not. I will then look at some suspects who have been named over the years. You can imagine it's been 34 years since at least the disappearances. And so some names have come up. And I have to admit, a couple of these people are fairly compelling. I'm not going to uh, dispute that. But I'm going to take a look at them and give you my opinion of them. And there are some details about them that I'm going to really have to talk about, in particular, uh, in particular, a letter that one of them wrote, a very long letter. I'm not going to go through all of it, but a couple points in that letter certainly caught my attention. Then somewhere within all of that, I'm going to answer the question I asked all of you earlier in this episode about the distinct difference between Keith and Sandra and all of the other people I listed whose cars or they themselves were last seen near bodies of water. Trust me, the answer is important. Then I will get into how I look at these two disappearances and how I narrowed all of the choices, all the different theories down to my own. And yes, for once, maybe the first time ever, I will publicly reveal on an episode of Unfound what I think happened in a missing persons case. Until then, I leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.